Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key emphasis on that video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We have so many things to talk about. Yeah, I was going to say you emphasizing low-key is almost like a challenge for this episode because <laughs> we've got a ton. We wanted to open just with like a little bit of a uh, buffet of things we've like been playing, still been playing. We have like focus segments per usual, but we're going to open with a variety. But most importantly, I think we wanted to open by plugging a new show on the network that we yes. both love. Yeah, we uh, very, very infrequently talk about the fact that like we are part of a podcast network, which like there aren't too many shows on it at the moment, but it's us. Uh, another show called Eleven Again, which you can go check out. Um, and as of last week, I guess, two weeks ago, uh, we've added a new show called Frog of the Week. And it's just wonderful, dear listener. It is exactly what it says on the tin. Every Monday, in about a minute to two minutes, you will learn about a new frog every week. And that's the show. I heard the first episode. I was immediately like, yeah, this needs to be on the network right now. So it is. Um, you can go to the worst garbage online, uh, which is the, the name of the network. And uh, you can go you can go find out about Frog of the Week and subscribe to it and follow them everywhere. They also have a channel in the Discord. It's really wonderful. It's really, really great. One of the frogs covered was a frog I had as a pet. So that meant a lot to me. Yeah. The Cranwell's the, the, horned frog. The Cranwell's horned frog, uh, yeah. which one of my favorite moments. I mean, all the episodes are like two minutes long. But one of my favorite moments in every episode was uh, Kim, the host, going, I bet you're wondering what that mouth do. Uh, <laughs> I think about it all the time. Yeah, it's great. It's a great time. Uh, definitely check that out. What I also like is that the episode art will feature what the frog is. So there's like yeah. a really nice presentation. Uh, everything about it is great. Definitely listen to it. Go listen to it. And learn about frogs. Yeah. Frog of the Week. It's a wonderful show on TWG, the network that we are also on. Like you said, it is what it is on the tin, whereas we lie every week to the listener. <laughs> That we are low low key key. podcast, and we (laughs) scream about M. Night Shyamalan's filmography for two hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We last week released two episodes. One of them was the bonus episode about Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, which was uh, received very well. Thank you so much, everybody who listened to that and checked it out and said nice things about it. Uh, That was a really fun one to do. It was that one actually weirdly did feel serious, like in the in the like lead up to it i think for you and i because like we very quickly went from like it'll be fun to play these two games to like oh my god these are like religious texts (laughs) yeah we have like there are a few episodes that come off like weirdly academic it's like that and the kentucky route zero one yeah yeah. i think i think we tend to match the mood of the game which is why Mm. i think whenever we talk about pokemon it's like Clown car of chaos. Badoof, 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 badoof. <laughs> so anyway, if you want a preview of uh, what's going to happen in 10 minutes when we're done with the rest of our preamble, <laughs> that was it, dear listener. So I guess just a quick update for me on my end. If you're if you're wondering like, hey, I wonder if Steven playing uh, League of Legends Wild Rift on his phone and or tablet is a passing phase. It's not. I have played more of that game <laughs> than maybe any game. And I beat the post game of Dragon Quest XI. Um, I really love it. And I think the reason I wanted to bring it up again, I don't have much more to say about it other than I'm having a good time with it. But um, when we brought it up in the episode, we've actually, I've gotten a few messages and we've seen some conversations in the Discord from people who are like longtime League players or MOBA fans. And it was just really cool to like see people share their experience, you know, good and bad of like what the history of that 
that genre is like. And, yeah. you know, I, le- I talked about how as like an 11 year old, I got kicked from every match of Dota I tried to join. And then um, someone in the Discord was like, you actually had to download like maps beforehand to like prove you weren't new. Otherwise, you'd be auto kicked. Just like wild stuff. So I think unbelievable. Yeah, it was just cool to see. Uh, I mean, obviously, like love hearing about everyone's different experiences with games but it seemed like there was a lot of consensus about like longtime players being really happy that you know there is now a way to get into the game that isn't like so tedious or arbitrary esoteric yeah esoteric yeah so i think it just like i mean that's kind of what we talked about last week is like even if you know regardless of how you think about the game itself i think it's a really great intro to the genre and it's also just a great game on its own so it's been really fun i've gotten like a handle of like three or so characters and weirdly i've actually found the most fun playing ranked matches because it just says like okay you're playing this role whereas like yeah sometimes when you do a random match everyone's like i'll go into the jungle and it's like okay we have eight junglers and, and we're gonna <laughs> lose yeah so but yeah it's been cool it, it's definitely like it, it has a really nice you and i talk about having games in our life as like a constant it's like, okay like no matter what i'm playing for the show or for myself i'll have something i like play before bed or in the morning or you know whatever and it's nice to have that and another one which we'll talk about later but um yes it just it's just uh when we when we do this show, I sometimes we have fun trying to anticipate what we're gonna like from the year. There are the big announcements that are that are heralded ahead of time that we have in our calendars. But you and I have been doing this long enough to know that like what we end up talking about in the Goody episode is like who knows? You know, the stuff will come out the week of and, totally. and we'll be smitten by it. Never in my life would I have guessed that I would get into <laughs> League of Legends this year, but here I am, and uh, just another kind of endorsement of wild rift again there's a lot of problematic shit with riot games you know i'm not like saying you should definitely get it if you have like hesitations to but um as if you're curious about the genre the game itself is really wonderful and the work that's been done on the game is worth recognizing yeah that seems to be echoed throughout um a a portion of the discord as well i've seen a bunch of people downloading it and mentioning like i don't know anything about this genre but i'm gonna try this out and then coming back a day or two later being like oops this is good yeah Uh, which has kind of been my experience too I haven't played it nearly as much as you, but I still am dipping in every once in a while. I've scared you away. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think it's a chill. <laughs> I, I don't wanna, think that's the case, but I want to play yeah. a match with you, but I, I'm like almost gold rank, and I need to chill. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so just an update on that. I might bring it up again one day, but I think that's probably all I have to say, like, critically about it. Yeah. Other stuff that's probably worth mentioning, uh, new update to Monster Hunter Rise that you and I have now checked out a a very small bit of. We've only scratched the surface of what's going on there, but they added a ton to that game, which, like, we already loved. So very excited about that. And then they're also, they announced another update coming a little bit later. I think it's next month or in two months that's going to, like, finish the story mode, which I didn't even realize wasn't finished when I got to the end of it. Uh, So that's kind of exciting, too, to know that there's like way more coming to that game just like for free in updates, um, which is kind of nice. I'm excited about it. I think I'm on like the last act of the village quests and you and I are now both high rank in the hub. So like, yeah. Um, what's cool about that is that uh, one thing I was like, man, I love all the armor designs, but I wish I could uh, color coordinate. And yeah. Now with high rank armor, you can change the armor pigment of all your high rank armor. Yeah, you can also layer armor so you can like be wearing armor for the stats and then have just like fashion armor on top of that. <laughs> so like the thing you're actually which, showing like, to other people. I spend so nice. much time on I made you and Pablo wait by accident for like an hour while I was like <laughs> trying to match 
my outfit. Um, but yeah, wonderful game. Just like it's 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 really really miraculous how good that game is. And yeah. also, I think it's worth pointing out that like easily one of the best examples of like Switch online multiplayer. And I think shocking, like we yeah. said in our I think our first episode about Rise. That game was like the first almost kind of like experiment or proof of concept for like Nintendo's new like they reworked like how online works for the Switch. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it's not a coincidence that like we're getting we got Rise and it works great. And they just recently added uh, to Mario Party of all games right. a uh, online multiplayer mode. So I'm just wondering if like this is a new dawn for like actually being able to play games online. Totally. On the Switch. Yeah. I, I That's a great read. I didn't even think about that because um, the. They added this new update to Mario Party that allows you to play online, but they didn't add like any game boards or any of the things that people like actually <laughs> wanted. And everybody was just like, why now? Like, why are you reminding people who are upset about this game that it exists and and just like continuing to perpetuate them being upset uh, when it could have just faded into the background? And then literally the next day they announced that it was going to be released in China. Um, so it was like, oh, OK, that makes sense now. But I, I didn't even think about the fact that it's probably being built on the back of that new Nintendo online backend. You're probably right. Yeah, I do wonder like what that means going forward. Like if there's gonna be a big Animal Crossing update eventually that makes it so you don't have to like wait, you know, a minute to two minutes every time somebody joins or leaves your island, which yeah. is just like a, a fucking nightmare, honestly, for that game. It's like one of the reasons I don't play it anymore is like I want to play with my friends, but I hate the experience of like joining or leaving an island. It just is terrible. Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked a lot about how much we love New Horizons and we reject a lot of the like day one critiques of it. I mean, this point to critique don't get me wrong but i think like my my feelings are always like whenever a game blows up that big and that quickly there's always like a lot of hyperbole that follows so like yeah, it, it's totally. like this initial embrace that's followed by like well it's actually not that good or like you know it's like this it happened to undertale it happens to a lot of games that like get way too big or bigger than they even like planned on being right <laughs> but i think that with animal crossing like there's so many quality of life improvements that like could and should be there i mean like that's the big thing with me i this is a thing that i've been like kicking around doing an episode of good morning video games about or like writing a piece about or something but like there's this really interesting dichotomy between like the very small like vocal group of people who like at launch were like we want this 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 and this and it's like okay well clearly there's like a path of you know free updates that they're going to continue dropping for this game and like if you're just patient for a little bit like eventually that stuff will show up but now we're like a year into the cycle and we're starting to repeat past events and like not get any like for example for the like the one year anniversary of that game coming out they didn't really like add anything or acknowledge it even you which just like, got bunny day again you just got bunny day again <laughs> with like, a couple changes that didn't really make it that much more interesting or enticing which has kind of led me to come like back around where like i still think that at launch it was reasonable to like say i can wait a little while because there's like more than enough content here they're adding new uh stuff every month for like all these different like holidays and themed events and things like that but now a year out it's like okay this is like the best-selling game on your console this is the thing that like moved consoles during the pandemic so many people have entered the nintendo ecosystem because of this video game and to like not add anything meaningful and just allow those people to drop off is like not only just shocking but just like bad for their business which like yeah. really surprises me so i imagine you know with uh, animal crossing new leaf they eventually released this like big content update i think two years out 
which like really, really, really added a lot to a game that already had a lot to offer. I think I think New Leaf was like built from the ground up in such a way where like that game was able to sustain itself without any updates for a really long time. But New Horizons seemed like a kind of new experiment on that front for them where like we're going to like purposefully pare some of this down so you have like a very streamlined experience and then eventually we'll add more things here and there just to like kind of build on top of this foundation that we've laid. And it just doesn't feel like that's happened in a year, which I, I have found very interesting. Like I, yeah, for me, like as a person who loves, loves, loves Animal Crossing, like I have the Animal Crossing Switch, like I kind of don't mind because it just means that I get to focus on other games, you know, like I, yeah. it's it's not like me being upset at Nintendo. It's just like me being confused because like I would love to still be playing Animal Crossing, but I'm not, you know, like that's kind yeah. of where my, where my emotional investment lies. I mean, I played uh, of the two of us, I, ironically, I played like the most consistently throughout the whole year. And like, yeah. honestly, all the events other than Bunny Day were really nice and fun, fun and yeah. like really enjoyed them. And, you know, I think after the initial like few months, it became the kind of game that I just sort of like would check in every now and then. Right. But the last like three months, I just like haven't played at all. The first time I played in a while was for my birthday, which was really nice. Yeah. But then I was like, OK, cool. I'm back. Let me, and then, you know, for me, the thing that's like really grating that I remember being different in New Leaf is like I have seen all the dialogue in this game and maybe it's because mm-hmm. I've you know been around longer than usual because of the pandemic but like it just feels like even when I, I, I am back this is not enough new for me to see and again that's fine I've put in over 300 hours in that game I can <laughs> right. leave it and that's the other thing too I think with Animal Crossing is like I've always found it to be the kind of game that like is like a main event for a while then eventually I move on you know I think like it's in this weird middle ground of like almost in terms of like a game as service thing like almost like destiny where it's like this online game that they should be like cultivating in that way but it's like not so they're not doing that that's the thing i think i think like internally i think they would want it to be that right Right, like i I I think nintendo would want animal crossing to be a game that you're playing literally all the time but they've just like dropped the ball on it in a way that's like very confusing which you know as we say it a lot on this show but like to try and guess what nintendo is doing is a fool's errand (laughs) like at any point like the fact that famicom detective club is a game that's being remastered and released next month is like that's more nintendo than them updating animal crossing you know them releasing like a fire emblem game translating it and then removing it from the store a month later like that's the nintendo that exists currently but the thing that like makes sense from a business perspective is like yeah update the game that everyone bought (laughs) right very silly yeah, and it's weird too because like I, I think that there's some crossover with the Splatoon team, and like Splatoon Two is like the cosmic opposite, where that game has been yeah. kept alive for so long, and like yeah. you know is still very active, and I cannot wait to see how three is. Yeah, but uh, I digress. It's still like I think I think my my high opinion of New Horizons hasn't like changed at all. I just think it's like like you said, it's an opportunity Nintendo is not taking advantage of. Yeah, I, same. If you pick up, if you have not played Animal Crossing New Horizons and you pick it up right now, you're gonna have like a like a solid year of like a really good time, which is. Yeah way more than you will get out of most games that you buy right (laughs) like like to be perfectly clear the package that is available in animal crossing new horizons right now is not only great but is better than it was when it launched like it 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 is better than it was on day one there's just so much potential that's so obvious you know yeah and that's I, i think the thing it's it's less of like a boo i'm i'm angry because they haven't updated animal crossing <laughs> and and it's more like a like a like a disappointed parent kind of vibe it's like oh no, no no i just i see so much greatness here that's not being taken advantage of which i honestly that's gonna be a big chunk of my 
conversation about Returnal later. So just like Ooh. stay tuned, buckle up for that. But uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about before we like moved on was um, a thing that you can go watch on our YouTube channel right now, which is uh, I decided to download the demo. They released a demo last week for Mitoma. Sorry, Mitopia. Mitopia. Yeah. I always mix them up. For Mitopia, they they released a demo, and I downloaded it and I played the first like hour of it and released it on our YouTube. And like, look, I didn't get that game on the 3DS. I didn't really know what was up with it because like honestly, I thought that Mitopia on the 3ds was like a dlc pack for the street pass plaza like mini games like i didn't realize it was its own video game that is like one of the most confusing pieces of media i've like ever consumed in my life it is a wild video game i went from like i have no interest in this at all but i'm gonna download the demo because like i'm just like curious i guess to like it's actually one of my most anticipated games of next month now <laughs> because like I, I just need to play it for like eight to ten hours now it's kind of how I feel about it it's so so I watched that video and I like truly could not believe what I was seeing like yeah, yeah. it's it, it you know it's okay it's it's a I guess the elevator pitch is like it's a fantasy RPG starring the Miis. Yeah. But even saying that, I think the game is going to now be different because I like made a thought concrete. Like it is so like you were like 40 minutes into that video and you're like, okay, but what is the game? Like I still don't know like what the game is. And like I don't even know either. What's really wild is like it it, it, like prompts you to make a bunch, at least based on what I watched and please fill in the blanks because you played it. But like the game prompts you to make a bunch of different me's who will be starring in different roles. It almost feels like you're like casting a stage play or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then it cuts to like this, uh, like kind of, uh, wizard, evil wizard who steals everyone's faces and puts them on monsters. And that's like the, the a plot is like this evil wizard has stolen everyone's faces and you have to get them back. So already like a really weird, like it's hard to like make sense of what that even means. Like metaphorically, Right, because hypothetically, when you start the game, it's like, okay, here, like, create the Miis for all these villagers. And they have, they have, like, (laughs) they have, like, three... (laughs) Steven just spit water everywhere. It's just, like... We're we're not. It's so weird. Yeah, like, it's so hard to. Put There's just like words. a screen that pops up, and it's like create yeah. the me's for all these villagers, and like you could go through and individually create all the me's for all these different roles. It's like okay, here's the mayor. Here's you know the, these two people who are like madly in love. Here's a mom. Here's the mom's child, and you could make all of those me's. It also like preloads them, so you could like just go with like the default ones. But you could spend like a good thirty minutes to forty five minutes creating all those characters, and then literally the next thing that happens is an even wizard shows up and rips all their faces off <laughs> so like you could spend like a solid hour being like and i want their nose to be exactly here and to look exactly like this and then the wizard shows up and it's like nope see ya and then you won't see that face again for like another three hours <laughs> it seems yeah. to be the way the game works so you venture out and there's sort of like dragon quest-esque turn-based combat going on but like yeah uh, a little bit more simplistic. So basically, it's like a fantasy RPG. And when you're going around, like, I actually am really intrigued by a lot of, like, the side elements. Like, there's this whole, like, you see the Miis in your, like, fantasy RPG party interacting. And they have, like, kind of relationship meters that builds up when they interact. Right. Which does have kind of, like, a Tamodachi life or Mitomo kind of vibe to it. Where, like, the more time these Miis spend interacting in their party. Like, if you go, like, stay at an inn or something. If you put them, like, in the same room. If they have to, like, room together, then they'll, like, hang out and, like, chat and, like, become better friends. 
weapons, which will then allow them to unlock like new abilities in combat. It's Persona. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like there's a lot of cool stuff like that going on, but it, I'm still not sold on like the main game because it seems to be you and your party just automatically walk left to right and get in random encounters. And right. like, yeah, that's it. That's and the video game. That's yeah. the game. I am not interested because <laughs> based on what I've seen, but I, I get your enthusiasm for it because it, it's so out there and like it is really like unfiltered chaotic Nintendo like this is yes. like this is like the best and worst case scenario of what Nintendo can make right um, at the yeah, same the, time the same Nintendo that says like again we're gonna take this Fire Emblem game that was never released in the West translate it to English only have it on the store for three weeks and then you'll never be able to see it again if you were to like show me that business model and say what video game would they make it would be something this like confusing <laughs> you know <laughs> the fact that I could play this game for 45 minutes to an hour and then I did end up playing like another hour of the demo after that um, after I, I finished recording that I mean I still am like not entirely sure what the like core loop of it is it just seems like you walk from left to right get into battles and like sometimes your Mies become friends which yeah. like is fun every once in a while God speaks to you and hires new Mies to join your party like wild just a wild game and yeah. I can't wait to see more of it uh, there's a part and I, I this, this is not on camera I did not put this in the video but I'm going to tell you about it uh, and I know there's a lot of people in the discord who downloaded the demo and are like losing their minds over this but at a certain point you get to meet a horse who then you have to design as if it's a me and then the horse joins your party and it's it's shocking <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like watching cats it's like really one of those it's watching, that's this is the closest like the <laughs> feeling i had watching metopia is very cats adjacent it's yeah. really like you're you're just mouth is open the whole time not out of judgment or out of like anger but just like uh, like this yeah. is i am ascending to maybe somewhere i don't want to go it's not better or worse i'm just somewhere else now yeah you know <laughs> Wow. One of us has to get it. And if you've already decided, I'll, I'll let you check it out and please follow up on it. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely getting this game. <laughs> I, I, I that, very glad there was a demo. Very glad there was a demo. Absolutely. Because um, boy, did it sell me on it. There should be more demos. <laughs> I'm just going. So I watched your video and I was curious. And then I, I read a lot of the like old reviews for the 3DS one. Um, which were like not good. <laughs> so not not to go solely off that. Not that in honestly reviews in the context of a game like Metopia almost don't even matter. Yeah. But I, I did just really need to know like, all right, but what is the game? And it seems like that is the game. It's left to right, which like that bums me out because I'd rather just have like chaos than than have it even have like something resembling a critical path. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, who knows? Maybe the Switch version will be like, you know, the definitive, the definitive edition. edition. Metopia S. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you to say Metopia S as if it doesn't rock my whole world? <laughs> uh, Echoes in an elusive horse. Oh. Okay. <laughs> when does it come out? When's the official May 21st. Release? May 20. Uh, so we're like in the, and this is actually maybe like the theme of the episode. Like we're kind of getting into the season where 2021 games are like coming out at all yeah which is exciting yeah I, I we say this a lot this show is not beholden to like new game releases like steven and i really just like pick up games and talk about them kind of 
in whatever uh, context we want, you know, whether yeah. they're new or not. I will like this episode is very much like new release heavy, I think, because you really wanted new Pokemon Snap, obviously, because you're a big oh, fan yeah. of the original. And I have like been on the show, like lamenting that there are no PS5 games for the past couple weeks. So like, obviously, I picked up Returnal because it's like the thing that allowed me to turn my PS5 on. Um <laughs> So that was nice, but I don't know how much of the new releases next month we're going to check out because there are so many of them. And like, do you think I I don't know if I'm going to like have the uh, like mental capacity to pick up. I'm just looking at the list right now. Resident Evil Village, uh, Famicom Detective Club one and two, all three Mass Effect games. Metopia, Biomutant, which is a game I like can't believe is actually coming out. Shin Megami Tensei three. There's like a new Earth Defense Force coming out for the Switch. There's like so much just next month really wild really I feel really like wild. i might save resident evil village and the detective clubs all games i really want but mm. those all might make really good spooky season games so oh, i might yeah, just save totally. them for october mm. you know yeah it's a good idea i'll probably get the detective club games when they come out on switch and maybe you know if i feel compelled to bring them up earlier yeah but i might wait until i get a ps5 to get a village i did a, i did a little bit of research about famicom detective club which like first of all just amazing that those games exist and are coming out like really yeah. bizarre choice but there are two of them coming out on the same day if you buy both of them i think you get like a discount on the second one is the whole deal but there are two of them one of them is called the missing air and the other one is called the girl who stands behind the missing air is like very much like a phoenix Wright adjacent like kind of you know um adventure game like point and clicky uh kind of thing the girl who stands behind like is the horror one like that one actually Ooh. is like the scary one so it would be kind of cool if you and i played the missing air and then like wait until october to play the the scary one that's a great idea yeah that's, yeah. A, that's a cool idea if we like it i guess is also right. the thing <laughs> we, could play them, like, we could be like oh yeah this is a game that came out in 1988 <laughs> <laughs> I'm like weirdly excited for them though. I'm I'm very I'm very curious about them. Yeah, me too. Uh especially in a post 13 Sentinels world where we have like that kind of like appetite for a game that's like kind of visual novel y. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Very very interesting. Very interesting that these games are coming. Um and I, I agree, like post 13 Sentinels, I feel like primed and ready for more of that. Although this this is gonna be much more like classic version of an adventure game adjacent, you know, like Right less less focus on like rts combat and stuff um <laughs> true as far as i know actually who knows <laughs> who knows maybe famicom detective club is containing myriad secrets that uh i guess will be. life comes at you fast <laughs> the big thing though is like this this week is like so just the beginning of 2021 games happening yeah um yeah it's so exciting, though. really really interested to see what's coming next um that said you want to take a break and then come back and talk about new pokemon snap I would love to. Let's do that. Me too. I'm like dying to hear about it. I guess life comes at you fast. Sorry, it's stuck in my head now. (laughs) See you soon. Goodbye. Brendan, as you alluded to earlier, I have picked up new Pokemon Snap for the Nintendo Switch. I can't I I can't believe that this is happening. What you can't? Really? I can't. Yeah, no, just the fact that this game even exists, that it's called (laughs) New Pokemon Snap. Um honestly, like I think I've gone on record on the show and if not, like you and I have talked about this in conversation off the show, but like I was cautiously optimistic, but also very nervous about this game being like a total train wreck. And I was very happy to see the reviews come out and be like, if you like the original, you're going to really love this one. Um, I was very, I was very happy to see that. So yeah, I would actually like to kind of review the the hype cycle for this game. So there was, 
it might have been was it a year ago close to a year there was like a pokemon direct there were there was a series of three there was three days of announcements yes this was the very confusing set of yeah. announcements yeah the first day was new pokemon snap which was by far like at least in my view of twitter was the most excitement was for right. that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> the next day was i think pokemon cafe mix <laughs> yep yeah <laughs> which like looked cute and we both played and enjoyed for what it was worth and then the last day was the pokemon moba which like is that even out like did that ever come out i have no idea i've heard nothing about it yeah me either and again like none of those are bad announcements but the build up to the third day this is also like pre uh brilliant diamond shining pearl pre pokemon legends announcement yeah and you know no matter what is said at a pokemon announce that people will be upset but like when it is actually disappointing <laughs> people are really upset um, anyway but pokemon snap was announced and i was really excited because the original pokemon snap was a game that came out like towards the end of n64 it came out in 1999 i actually thought it was earlier but i just i just looked it up it was 1999 and pokemon snap to me was like a really formative game i'm i'm a lifelong pokemon fan as many people know and pokemon snap there, there were a lot of like weirdly experimental pokemon games on the n64 uh you had like hey you pikachu which used the mic where you talk to pikachu yeah wild even Pokemon Stadium was like a really inventive idea where you had this like steampunk accessory you put into the N64 <laughs> controller yeah. that had a slot for the Game Boy game. And if you put your Game Boy game in, you could like play Pokemon like in full N64 3D and like... At that time, that was, like, really shocking. Like, it was yeah. really cool to, like, see your party of, like, barely readable Game Boy 1 sprites <laughs> as, like, animated characters. It wasn't until X and Y that you would ever see that again outside of the stadium games. Totally. Not to yeah. mention, like, all the fun uh, mini games that Pokemon Stadium was a great time. I, I had such a ball. Yeah, the mini games in particular were, like, surprisingly great. Yeah. Like, like enough reason to get the game. You right. Know, just the mini games. <laughs> Yeah. Clef I have I, I have nightmares of Clefairy says just getting smacked <laughs> for getting it wrong. Or the lick of tongue that Yeah. Ooh. Horrifying. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pokemon Stadium 2, also really good. Probably the better one overall. Yeah. Um, They're great. Both, great games. Both great games. Yeah. But I bring that up because there was like this very strong incentive. I think all three of those games, Pokemon Stadium, Pokemon Snap, and Hey You Pikachu, were all trying to kind of fully realize the world of Pokemon in a way that felt immersive and real. Yeah. You know, obviously the Game Boy was limited at that time. And we've talked a lot about, you know, the early era of Pokemon and how we actually prefer like Gen 2 and 3 for like how they were kind of really creatively utilizing those limitations for the games. Mm -hmm. But for, like, a kid who likes Pokemon, you just want to be there. And Pokemon Snap was, like, the closest you got to that as a game, I think. Right, in, in terms of, like, interactive media, right? Because, yeah, like, right. at any point you could, like, turn on Kids WB and watch the anime and, like, that was kind of the closest yeah. you would get to, like, seeing what it was actually like to live alongside them. And then your brain would kind of fill in the blanks as you were playing Pokemon, like, blue and red and, and gold and silver and stuff. But But the anime was, like, really kind of... Almost like a like a North Star to follow in a way for a lot of these spin-off games was like, okay, well, 
the anime has like fully realized this this place that we're only alluding to really um and pokemon snap i i think you know at least when i played it when i was a kid was very much like finally i get to see these things in their natural habitat and this isn't even like i'm hanging out like in pallet town and like seeing a pidgey fly <laughs> above me this is like what is a pidgey actually doing when it's just chilling yeah yeah it was really exciting um and i've played it like somewhat recently i think i played it in like 2014 like mm-hmm. as an adult and like yeah. still had a great time obviously it's nostalgic but the way the original was structured is that you were in this kind of like high-tech safari pod that was on rails so yeah. by all means it's like a rail shooter skeleton wise but it's going very slowly and you're going through this environment and like you said all the pokemon are like living in the environment organically and you have bait and just like bumper balls you can throw around to like get just like annoy them or feed just them. to annoy yeah. them yeah uh, so you can like you know basically it's like you're trying to capture the right moment before you're too far away before they run away it sounds kind of like loose but it really worked well even in the original and like there were a lot of secrets there were a lot of really well-designed levels that you would like pass a place like i remember the cave level where at the very end there was like this kind of weird well-lit raised platform in the cave that like could be a stage potentially and Mm -hmm. you're like what is this? Like, how can I work with this? And then you learn that if you, I think if you interact with all three of the Jigglypuffs on the way before the end of the level, they're all performing there at the end. So like, you know, you can get uh, an electrode to explode, you know, but the joke of the game always was like, Professor Oak knows nothing about photography. Cause like, (laughs) no matter what cool shots I pulled off, the highest rank photo that I ever had were two magmars breathing on each other. He was like, excellent, (laughs) well done, wonderful. (laughs) And so yeah, you basically take all these pictures, you go back to Professor Oak and he would be like, you were close and rank all the photos. And it it was like a two to three hour game. It was like really short, but had a lot of replay value. And then at the very end, the secret was you could unlock Mew and you're just like in space taking like as many photos of Mew as you could. And they were very hard to like get their attention because, you know, they're this like mythical little baby. Just kind of zipping around. Yeah. And in 3D space and you need to look around with space baby weird N64 controller. Yeah. (laughs) So it was it was definitely a well-liked game. And I think outside of the core games is probably the most over time, the most like talked about and fondly remembered like spinoff game other than the main series. I also really like the the Pokemon trading card game game, but like that is me and like eight other people. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. <laughs> I played enough of it that I, I have definitely had like a, oh, there's definitely something very weird and very good here kind yeah. of experience. Yeah, I am a big fan of whenever a piece of media takes something that is mundane and treats it with the same degree as like, you know, a, a fantasy RPG. So the fact that like that game is like the same notes as a Pokemon adventure, but it's just cards is yeah. so funny to me. Yeah. It's you know? very silly. Yeah. Um, have you played golf story? You played golf story, right? Oh yeah. I played golf story. We talked about it way back. Like in yeah. season one. Yeah. That was like uh, a similar Switch, like, launch title. Yeah. Very similar thing with, with golf. Yeah. That. Excited for sports story whenever that comes out. Yeah. But anyway, so I've always kind of been like secretly longing for a new Pokemon snap. I thought they were going to do it on the Wii U. Cause it just seemed like the place to do it with like the game pad and stuff. Totally. Um, yeah. But, 
but uh, I'm glad they waited for the Switch, and it's out now. And I had a similar kind of existential crisis where, like, they announced it, I was excited. Then, like, months went by, and I was like, oh, man, what if it's, like, really bad? It could be really bad, couldn't it? Yeah. What if this is just, like, one of those games that was, like, you know, because there's a danger in trying to resurrect the past a little too much. Mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of games where, like, there will be a Kickstarter or something to bring something back, and it's just not right. Not to debase the impact it had at the time, but, like, sometimes things are just better as a retro hit. You don't have to have it, you know, dolled up and and put in the spotlight again just because you remember it fondly. Like, it can just exist. Uh, I, I think a big part of that for me was this naming convention specifically. Like, I, I am not a huge fan of Nintendo always naming things like new whatever. Oh, my God. Um, it's terrible. But the Pokemon company doing it for this specifically really felt like new Pokemon Snap is like we are replacing Pokemon Snap, which like I know is not <laughs> the implication here, really. But like that new in front of it really does kind of like carry a lot of weight, I think, for this game specifically it is like we're going to make a game that is so good that it is going to replace the original for you and that is like a scary place to tread i think for anyone trying to as you just said like resurrect a a past franchise like this or a past idea yeah very scary yeah i i don't i don't know if that was their intention but i definitely know you could read that and it also implies that there won't be another one you know um but then again like newer pokemon snap Right, the Nintendo called the new 3DS. There's a new Super Mario Brothers. Like, yeah, it's just not a good idea. There's like eight who's on first trees being planted with this. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I, I had my I had my doubts as well, but I was intrigued enough that I was like, okay. I'll be the one of us to check it out and like just see. Yeah, and the early reviews were really good, uh, really really promising, and um, I have now played it for like around three and a half hours, and I really love it. It's really great. I feel a little bit of pressure for this segment because, again, our show is not a buyer's guide. I know for a fact that a lot of people will buy games based on a recommendation, which is very flattering. And if you feel comfortable doing that, that's great. But we are in no way telling you to do that. Uh, obviously, there are games that will come out that, like, you know, especially in the indie world, where we're like, hey, if you can support this, definitely do. Because this is like your your money will actually matter here. And you're not just like throwing right. pennies at the Pokemon company. <laughs> Uh, and the thing is, like, this game is $60 and will probably never be on sale because it's a Nintendo game. So, like, that's the bummer of it is, yeah. like... And at the same time, I don't think you or I are big on saying, like, what is worth what. I do think, as a default industry standard, 60 is just too high in general. Like, it's such a wall for people that, like... So excited you know, to have this exact same conversation again during the Returnal segment. Oh, right. boy. <laughs> but the thing is, like... And that's why I think services like Game Pass are so wonderful because it's, like... Oh my god, if this was on Game Pass, it would probably be even more successful for the Pokemon company because there'd be a lot more people who would just be like, yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah. You know? And yeah. obviously it never will be on Game Pass, but I think having a service like that or even just having a demo of it. But anyway, yeah. I just, did just in terms I, of accessibility, right? Just in terms of yes. like there's no demo here. It's sixty dollars. That's like that's asking a lot of people, I think, to yeah. take it to take a chance on something that like <laughs> they might not be a hundred percent on, unless you are a huge fan of the original and you read a bunch of reviews and you're like like, yeah, I, I think I will probably like this, you know, but like if you didn't play the original, 
it really is kind of a crapshoot. Right. And it's not really like, even though it's an easy sell of like what the game is, like it's, again, it sounds a little loose if you haven't played the original. It's like, okay, is it just taking pictures? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. All that to say, I think it's very well done. So the game largely plays the same. You are in a strange high-tech safari pod, slowly going through a level. It takes like from the entrance to the exit, it will take less than two minutes maybe Mm -hmm. around two minutes like pretty quick and so far i don't have they might have taken the bumper balls out because they might be a little mean Uh, i might unlock them later but you can still throw bait and you can scan the environment almost like death stranding to see like what's there oh interesting there are like little things you can research and stuff like that um so like if you scan an environment it will like kind of show you if like there are things nearby if you don't know what they are they'll just be like question marks or whatever what kind of things are you talking about though like what's an example of a thing in this case plants uh like points of interest like there's like a ruins you find somewhere they have like they have like new kinds of plants that you can scan that are like pokemon world specific plants yeah that's crystal cool. blooms yeah crystal blooms um, the a plot is that professor mirror who professor mirror reminds me of like the adult ally in a persona game that becomes evil like he just has the energy <laughs> all about him uh anyway but uh professor mirror in the lentil region mm-hmm. uh he is trying to research why certain pokemon are glowing that's like the plot the plot is like okay. really like even for pokemon standards like just embarrassing but it's <laughs> it makes me crack up because the characters are like giving everything 100 and again this is like pokemon photography treated as seriously as pokemon training uh there's a guy who shows up named todd who's like the hot shot photographer is he not and he todd ha- snap from the original pokemon snap Oh, I guess that's who it is. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably. That would make sense. It's Todd Snap. He's back. Everyone remembers him. I was a big <laughs> fan of that game, and I don't know who Todd Snap is. I just remember because he showed up in the anime, and he's like, I, I have like his anime version burned into my head. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, Todd shows up, and he has like a uh, apprentice who's like, you better get your own mentor. So you already have like a Pokemon Snap rival. Great. All that, I like, I love that kind of nonsense, and I skip through a lot of it. And that's where the game feels like it might be. I mean, this is Pokemon. It's definitely targeted towards young audience but like there are moments where the game really feels like it's like aiming for kids Mm -hmm. overall which is great you know again this is like a really wonderful game for families but going back to the like core gameplay loop the environments are just so pretty like the the way they have made the settings and the way the pokemon are animated and interact in the environment it's like really breathtaking it really Mm. is like getting a big hug and like i often gasp at the discoveries i make like they do a really great job at just like throwing so much at you not in a way that feels overwhelming but just like in a way where you're always looking around even if it's like your fifth time going through a level like at one point a pincer just like walked by my thing and I was oh shit I gotta get that guy and like you know of course I got like the back of him a few times um But uh, it's really exciting, and, and they've incorporated Pokemon from all the different generations, which is fun. I think it was smart to make it, like, a new region so they can just be like, okay, in this part of the world, like, pincers Everything and, is and, there. and yeah. ducklets are here. So, you know, you go through the level, you take a picture, and each Pokemon in the photo decks has, like, every time you take a picture, it's organized in, like, one to four star, like, ratings. So you can mm-hmm. have a picture for each star. 
What I find really nice. So again, something you and I have talked about, and I think some of your concerns for the game was like, I want to take pictures that I think are good. And the pictures Professor Mirror thinks are good are not. They're very different things. Yeah. You know, the the advice Todd gives is literally like, make sure the the Pokemon is as big and as in the center of the photo as possible, Uh, which is like, you know, not always the case for a good photo. Yeah. Not ever. Right. (laughs) But what's great is that really what ends up happening is like you'll encounter something. You'll take a bunch of photos of it. You'll take photos you want to take. And then at the end of the level, you choose which ones you send to Professor Mirror and which ones you save in like your personal album. So like, oh, that's good. You, en- you end up being able to like kind of kill two birds with one stone with like, okay, like I'll give you the photos you think are good. You love this photo of the back of Pinsir's head because he's like dancing or something. You take this one. I'm going to save the one I actually like. And then um, once the level is done, you know, and you, and you choose the ones you want to save, you can go to your own personal space in the lab and edit all those photos in your album. And that's like where I've spent a lot of time with this game. Yeah, you've so, been sending me a lot of pictures that you've been taking and i've been loving all of them like it's it's Found really glad. one of those situations where the more you send me the more i'm like yeah i should probably get this game because i my, think you really like it yeah i i probably will my big thing is like as i've said on the show a lot as i've like written about and stuff like i love photo mode in games i, th- I think it's yeah. like the greatest trend to have hit video games in the past like decade just like including photo mode pretty much everywhere and in a lot of games i spend more time in photo mode than i do outside of it so like pokemon snap seems like an obvious choice for me but that thing that i bumped up against in the original which is like i know that this is actually a good picture i'm like using all of the like rules of actual like photographic composition and stuff like I take a lot of pictures in real life also. Um, so I, I like kind of like know what I'm doing. And when I take a picture that I think like looks fucking great. And then Professor Oak is like, this sucks. It's like, oh, OK, <laughs> that, yeah. that doesn't feel very good. So th- the fact that it's allowing you to do both in this game, I think, is pretty good because you could just play the game and then also take the pictures you actually want to take, which I, I'm very yeah, exactly. into. And, and what's great, too, is like, you know, you're going to go through these levels more than once because it's actually it takes a while to unlock different levels. So in the beginning, it's uh, this like park near the like like research lab where you work yeah and you play during the day and the more you like take pictures and go through that level you have a research level that goes up which i think allows you to progress and unlocks like more filters and different things you can do when you're like editing your photos so that's cool yeah there's a cool sense of progression it all feeds into itself yeah and then you unlock that level at night so i found that there's a lot of really great like environmental teaching in this game where like you might see like a bunch of Pokemon asleep during the day. Yeah. And like, you know, you can't get a good photo. And then at night, like I now have two levels. The jungle level is like shocking. Cause like the 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 first level is like what you kind of expect. It's cute. There's a Pichu and a Grookey running around together that like I'm obsessed with. <laughs> yeah, you sent me a picture of Pichu and Grookey hanging out that was like the most album cover shit I had like yeah. ever seen. Cause it's like kind of a fisheye lens and they're both looking directly at the camera. It really looks like they're posing for like like a nineteen nineties like shoegaze yes. album cover. <laughs> yeah, it fucking absolutely. owns. I immediately edited it into a My Bloody Valentine cover, like the second <laughs> you sent it to me, because I, I was like so enamored by it. Yeah, and and there's just like a lot of that so like in every level there's something that will like immediately catch your eye like those two yeah but then there are like a bunch of secrets like you'll see something in the distance and like or there might just be like like i keep running into a cave and i throw like a bunch of bait there and nothing shows up and i'm like i know there's something here Mm -hmm. the professor's favorite photo i've taken is i threw an apple into like a hole in a tree and the little robin pokemon came out and like 
spread its wings and growled at me. And I was like, that's a mirror shot. He's going to yeah. love that one. <laughs> uh, and he does. He did. And yeah. So like the first level is very much like a park, but the jungle is like really untamed. And there's a point where you're just flying above everything. Mm. And it's like really cool. And what's great about that one is like in the day, a bunch of the uh, lipers are like just resting. And at night, they're all kind of like walking around and oh, like cool. jumping in front of you and stuff. So there are day and night versions of every locale yeah. then? That's cool. That's yeah. great. It's really cool. And and at night, there's like uh, like the pond is like glowing and there's like a bunch of magic harps. They like almost look more like koi yeah. in that setting. And a quagsire just waiting by the lake. In addition to just like your sense of progression by taking pictures and getting your research level up, there will also be requests from the characters in the game. Like, can you take a picture of like this Pokemon waking up? Or like, can you get Quagsire to jump into the lake somehow and take a picture of mm. that? So like, there are little like challenges in the game that will also give that you- That I'm like, very into. Cause that that's actually yeah. one of the things I've been really into specifically with Monster Hunter Rise, strangely yeah. enough. It's very similar to that. It's like get a picture of this guy yawning or something. Yeah, yeah. As, as we mentioned, I think at some point when talking about Monster Hunter Rise, um, when you first like get towards the end of the village quest and you start to get into high rank and stuff, a lot of the like random sub quests that you'll be given are like take a picture of like this small piece of like fauna like doing this very specific thing like i think there was one that was like make a bomb badgy fart and take a picture of it which like <laughs> i actually think is like great that's like exactly what i want to be doing in monster hunter i love, love that, that i love that the game is so capable of oscillating between like i'm fighting a big fucking panther with wings but also i need to like make this little badger fart uh, and take a picture <laughs> of it like the fact that it handles so both of those so well just like makes me almost want them to lean more into the like photography side of it. And it kind of sounds like Pokemon Snap does that. My big question for you, though, my, my big thought about the original game that I, I kind of um, I think is like a blessing and a curse in a way is that I think it being so short kind of prevents you from spending too much time there. Because what I found about the original is that the more time you spent in there, the more it feels like you're riding. It's a small world. Like it, mm. it starts to feel like you're on a ride at like Walt Disney World and all all of these Pokemon are just animatronics because you start to see all the same animations over and over again. You start to see their like kind of like constant loops every time you go through it. And the fact that that game only really lasted like two hours just kind of like prevented you from hitting that wall where it's like, OK, now the the majesty of this is gone. Now the like immersion is gone. And I'm wondering how that feels in this game. That's a great question. I haven't run into that yet. Again, I'm still pretty early on. And like the sense of progression is much slower because like at this point I would have been done with Pokemon Snap, you know, right. and the fact that I've only unlocked two levels like they're really taking their time with it. I think having the day and night stuff is really cool. And, yeah. and the Pokemon seem like like there's like. Like even just those two, the Pichu and the Grookey running, like there's a version of the run where I'll throw an apple at Grookey and he like gets like kind of knocked out for a second and Pichu runs ahead of him, mm. you know, and I, t I take a picture of just Grookey eating or there's one where they're running together. Like, there's there's a lot more. It seems that there are a lot more options to happen. Yeah. Like there's a lot more things that could happen. And what's really fun is like, I think they kind of took that Mew level and they've added that to every level because in addition to the day and night cycle every level has one like oh shit we found the pokemon that's glowing just follow them and get as many shots as you can of them cool. doing like wild shit so in the first one it's a big meganium that's glowing and oh, it's yeah. like really cool and it feels like actually important like it mm. that's the thing i think this game does well is like you feel the majesty of different pokemon and like right what their place in the world is um and
and I, I enjoy that a lot. And, and I, again, I think the, 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 big, the biggest game saver here is like the fact that I am progressing how the game wants me to and also just making a bunch of photos where Pokemon are wearing sunglasses. And like, yeah. I don't have to do a level more <laughs> than once to get both to happen. What's neat, too, is there's a this is a very Nintendo understanding of online. But like when you go to the lab, there's like your place where you can go through your album and, you know, like um, you can even after you take a picture, you can re-snap it where you can like zoom in or like change the focus. And then you can take that re-snap photo and then apply filters and stickers to it later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot even just like even that I think adds a lot of variables to the sense of like I've already done this before because like. You can customize it so much and you can basically just take screenshots of that and post it to Twitter like I have. But you can also post it online on the game's like fake social media. Okay. And it's so funny because the original Pokemon Snap predated social media. So like, yeah, these photos kind of meant nothing to like they were just like photos you took for Professor Oak. Right. Saved on but your here, N64. Yeah. You can you can share them to like the game's like online database and like on your online profile, you have four photos you want to like feature like on your page Mm. and then it will also show two photos of professor mirror's favorites so right now i have like (laughs) the two cell shaded quagsire and meganium photos and then the two sunglasses and then the robin sticking out yeah and there are a lot of funny like animal crossing-esque titles like better with friends or like (laughs) i'm a novice photographer it's very silly (laughs) And people can give you what are called sweet medals, where like if they oh like your photo. So there's like a page of like what photos are trending or not. That's all very silly, and that's fine. I've I've I have more fun. Like I'll think about what photos I want to feature on my profile. The two most popular for me are the the one of Pichu and Grookey with the fisheye lens mm-hmm. was very popular, and then I have another one that has like kind of like a silent film like black circle over a Bidoof looking up, and it just says one day. Is the caption <laughs> that did very well? Yeah. Uh, so like, that's doing well for me. I haven't even seen it. <laughs> you want to give it a sweet medal? Yeah. Um, I think I will. But yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I think like it's definitely not like just a oh, if you like the original, you like this. I think that there's a lot to enjoy if you're just a fan of Pokemon and if you're a fan of like utilizing photo mode as a game. We've talked a lot about games kind of making a central game mechanic about something that is unconventional. And I think that this has further proved that like the original game had a really great idea and this is definitely like a sequel to that idea you know they they've yeah it's it really sounds like they've just kind of doubled down on all the things that worked about it which is great yeah yeah you know i wouldn't say it replaces it i mean i don't know like how easy it is to get an n64 game i think if you're curious about you know pokemon as a series i think the original is definitely worth experiencing but like this is just like i mean i don't want it to replace anything but this is definitely like a successful sequel to that idea yeah that's good to hear i'm really enjoying it yeah i mean again i i, I don't want to say it's not worth 60 dollars, but i know that it's just a steep price in general right if it was like 40 it's like absolutely everyone get it but yeah. like you know it, and that's also all subjective but um as someone who was like getting a little nervous i'm having a great time with it so i'm glad to hear that i have a weird yeah. in the weeds question about how it works mechanically do, yeah, do sure. they have gyro controls for moving the camera around or is it all analog sticks they do if you wanted to there's motion controls if oh, nice. you want them yeah. uh I haven't used them. Um, and I think it's like the where it gets really exciting is like you do only have a few moments to get the shot you want. Like mm-hmm. it's like you see the shot you want and then you have to like hurry over and get it. So like, yeah, you do feel like you're trying to capture the moment when it's right. Um, and that's really exciting. Yeah. Weirdly enough, I do feel like having gyro controls would allow that to happen easier, which like, yeah. 
so infrequently will I be the person saying like, I want gyro controls. Let me move my big <laughs> switch around, you know, but um, I, I think in this case, Splatoon's another weird example where they really help. It worked yeah. really well. Yeah. Um, and I think because of how well it worked in Splatoon, that has become like a pretty constant refrain whenever shooters come out on the switch is like, you should add gyro controls to it because it, I don't know. I just, I just see that around a lot. Um, but very specifically for Pokemon Snap, I was kind of hoping they'd be there. I'm glad they are. I, I know for a fact that Umarangi generation on the switch is going to have gyro controls. Yeah, which, I'm like, which is a game you and I are both dying to play once it comes out on switch. Yeah, that's, that's one of those ones where like, you know, we, we talked about Disco Elysium and like, okay, we picked up Disco Elysium on the Mac because it was available for the Mac, even though it was like about to drop on consoles and stuff, but like it was available so we could finally check it out. Umaranga Generation is a game that I have like literally no way of playing and I'm like dying to dying to play because it's only on Windows right now. Yeah. Um, and God, I want to play it. So whenever that comes out um, and a lot of the reviews I read of Pokemon Snap just kind of made me want to play Umaranga Generation even more. Yeah, that, that that game seems like photo mode. Like the way that game handles photo mode is like how Hades handles being a roguelike where it's like just so <laughs> yeah. far and away like the most creatively compelling way to do it. Yeah. But I, I think you would have a lot of fun with this given your love for Pokemon and I think you would enjoy like I think that Professor Mirror's bad taste would not ruin your enjoyment of the game. <laughs> uh so. That's that's good to hear. Yeah. yeah, I I am way more interested in Pokemon doing this kind of stuff or like branching out from what we know of them from like a video game standpoint. Um, just because like I, I, I still to this day I still want to see more of that world like being fully realized. Yeah. You know, like even in the case of Detective Pikachu, which like is is a pretty good movie. Like it was it was fun. I enjoyed watching it. But like even in that case, it's like a kid who doesn't want to be a trainer, kind of like reluctantly becoming a trainer. Which like that's just the thing that we see in the video game. It's just the thing that we see in the anime. Like, I want to see, like, re, like do Ferris Bueller's Day Off in Pokemon. You know, like, <laughs> I, I just want to see, like, that world in the most mundane way possible because the world is so fucking interesting that it can carry a story that mundane, you know? Yeah, totally. And again, the narrative is nothing here, but, like, it is <laughs> nice to just to see, like, there's, like, a Pokemon just sort of casually walking around the photography office and, like, I love it. Just that little detail is, like, very fun. Totally, yeah. That's what I'm all about. I'm all about that stuff. Even in the opening of um, Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald, like, when there's the Machokes that are, like, helping you move. Yeah, yeah. That, that moment is so, like, seared into my like understanding of how the Pokemon world works. I think this game has also done wonders to like celebrityify Bidoof. Like I've been talking about <laughs> go back go into the lexicon of our show. I have brought up Bidoof since season one. I love Bidoof and now people get it and it's great. And again it's like you wouldn't care about Bidoof unless you saw his dumb little beaver face running around and eating an apple. You know? Yeah. yeah. He's just the guy you don't want to catch in Diamond and Pearl. And right. here he's like the, the one star. you want to get a picture of. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> just to stress it, like the team that worked on like making these environments, like did such a, it is so beautiful. It's really mm. hard to like understate that. I honestly like, hope that legends looks halfway as nice as this game does because yeah, like yeah that was actually the point i wanted to get to that i completely forgot about thank you for reminding me like that that is the thing about legends that i think is most interesting to me is this idea that like almost monster hunter adjacent you're just kind of like in this village like going out and exploring the world in a breath of the wild capacity 
I, I think lends itself to more interesting storytelling than what we've seen time and time again in like the mainline games. Yeah. I'm really I'm really excited for what Legends has to bring. You yeah. know, even if it's not like even if it somehow doesn't stick the landing, I think it's such a big risk for them that like yeah. I'm excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, me too. Anyway, new Pokemon anyway, Snap. New Pokemon Snap. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool that like I think Pokemon is experimenting more with the mainline games and that this game got like the marketing it did and like it could have mm-hmm. just been like a here's a cash grab like nostalgia thing yeah and it, it definitely there's a, a lot of a lot of effort went into this and totally. i think it's good yeah. yeah i'm glad to hear that i'm really glad to hear that um yeah. I'll, I'll probably pick it up honestly at some point <laughs> i think you'll have a good time with it yeah. uh and i'm just like very i think i think making the sense of progression a little bit slower is great because like there's so much to see in every level but the, by, the, by the time you think you have an understanding you've then unlocked the new one and the jungle like fucked my whole world up i'm like yeah. oh my god that's, this, that's what i'm talking about yeah. with the like it's a small world comparison i think that that's you know they alleviate that in the first game by making the game so short that like you're in and out before that even crosses your mind and from the sound of it they alleviate that in this game by having so many environments that you like spend that like one hour in each one so you also don't really hit that because like right even halfway through that hour you unlock the night mode version of it or whatever so everything's changing anyway um so they keep it fresh which is good to hear yeah it's a good time cool that's all i got <laughs> well let's take a break then we'll come back we'll talk about Expect more stuff more tasteful shots of the doof yeah Maybe I'll like sneak a bunch into the chapter markers in this episode or something. Who knows? I'm kind of pissed he evolves because uh, I love the doof as they are. You know? I agree. Yeah. yeah. Bye, Burl. Ugh. <laughs> Goodbye. It's like. <laughs> okay, oh, no, 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 no. Wait, what's your thought? I'm going to say it's like that bunny. I think that was in black and white that has hands know, for ears X and y, hands for ears. It's a cute little bunny. And then it becomes like uh, the dad from Home Improvement. Like suddenly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Richard Karn. Okay, now goodbye. <laughs> Richard Karn looks better than that bunny. Okay, goodbye. Steven. Hey. Hey, uh, did I buy Pokemon Snap during the break? You bet I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we sure are Whoops. here to talk about something else. We are. I've been getting real into the 3DS again recently. I like dug it out and started just kind of like looking around the stuff that I had and the thing that I've been playing more than anything else and I this was not even like a game that I planned on really talking about on the show this was just kind of like an ambiently playing in the background always kind of game is Dragon Quest 8 which I've now put like way more time into man that game is good it's it's like we mentioned this in our first segment about it when we first brought it up but like it is shocking that this game is on the 3ds because it feels like the ps2 version like you look at this alongside the ps2 version it's like obviously they had to cut a lot out from like a fidelity standpoint but it really works like it is a full 3d open world video game on the 3ds and it like rules it sure does take up twenty thousand blocks of the 3ds I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, it really does yeah so yeah 3ds has kind of been like something we on and off like kind of repeat the praises of because i think it's kind of a it's weird because it's it's i think the best-selling console nintendo's ever made yes but like everyone also sold their copy adding to the sales uh <laughs> and um it's just sort of become like it's weird and i think and i think we've probably made this point already but i think like while there's plenty to critique the 3ds4 as a console it does succeed in a lot of the areas the switch has not even begun like Mm. 
I have a beautiful Twilight Princess theme on my 3DS that I forgot I bought like yeah. eight years ago. <laughs> and it's incredible. And like, it's very silly, but like, I would literally waste so much money on a good Switch theme. It's wild that it's just black and white. I'll say that till I die. Having a themes option in the settings, like you go into settings and then it's like themes and then it's just black or white. It's like, yeah, why? Why? Why even have the option? Right. Yeah, why even have the option? Unless you're alluding to the fact that there will be more one day. I just right. think we've talked a lot about how the 3DS is like so customizable, both like from the menus and even the exterior of it. Right. Um, I mean, the fact that you can watch Netflix on your 3DS and not the Switch <laughs> is baffling. It's wild <laughs> that you would like choose to watch it on a 3DS instead. But all that to say, like the library for the system is great. The backwards compatibility with the DS makes it like the go to point for the last 10 years plus right. of Nintendo's like handheld library. In addition to while it's there, take advantage of the e-store because there's so much great stuff there. The big caveat to that is for some reason, so I had a big SD card and I was like, let me swap it over for my 3DS because recently they had a big sale of all the uh, Atrian Odyssey and SMT games. Two series I haven't really played a lot of, but right, like yeah. our giant Atlas flagship series that I'd love to check out. And those apparently like, the physical copies of those games are like very hard to get. So it's like, while the 3DS eStore still secretly exists, get all these games while they're on sale. And I tried to, but because I have Dragon Quest VIII Journey of the Cursed King taking up 20,000 blocks of memory, and pretty much any game that size, is like you could have like one digital game on yeah. your 3DS, basically. I can get anything. So let me try to put my new SD card in. And for whatever reason, the 3DS as a system is only compatible with SD cards up to four gigs. So, like, you literally can't have more than one game. It's such a Nintendo thing to do. I'm like, wh why can't I have more space to s give you more money? <laughs> <laughs> uh, thankfully, not an issue on the Switch. But the 3DS is just, like, a great place for, like, you know, again, while the eStore is active, game preservation, backwards compatibility, it's all there. Sorry, I was just looking this up because I, I, I thought that I had a bigger one in my uh, 3DS. And I do. You just have to format the SD card like a very specific way to get it to work. Gotcha. But gotcha. you can have up to 32 gigs. It seems okay. to be the max. Maybe I'll try again. But it wasn't recognizing my card and I was risking deleting everything on my 3DS. So I, I switched it back. Yeah, that's that's the shitty thing is that you have to go through like a whole like wild Nintendo process to be able to like move all of your content from one SD card to another. And like that experience is like bad because I, I had yeah. to do that a lot because I was like one of those like fools who like bought the 3DS <laughs> and they like kept upgrading as they released new versions of that console all the way up to the new 3DS non Excel which I have currently uh, so I could have like face plates I could swap out and stuff but I do remember going through that process of like needing to move all my stuff and every single time being like am I going to lose my Animal Crossing save because I really don't want to do that yeah it's just nice to have like a, a, a relatively modern system be able to play so many generations of games in addition totally. to my fancy uh kyle star created game boy events to play like all that stuff so mm -hmm. like i like having like okay i know this is gonna work unlike the n64 in my drawer that has the broken reset button i know that these <laughs> things will work and they can play so much all that to say i also have uh dragon quest 8 we began this year like both really getting into dragon quest you had already kind of been on board but then like you and i both 
I fell in love with Eleven alongside you. We did a bonus about it in January. Really happy with how that came out, actually. If you want more thoughts on like that game specifically, it's there. But you you and I both checked out like a bunch of the older games because this is a series that like has not really changed a lot, uh, but like in weirdly a good way where like yeah. if you have a working knowledge of at least one of the games, you'll have enough expectation to like know what you're in for but enough novelty that you'll be like surprised at what's going on yes and i think that for people out there who have played 11 and not another one eight is like the most logical next game to check out because it's very similar for real yeah Yeah, absolutely i mean yeah from like a format standpoint it is like the other game in which you are like running around a 3d open world and there specifically on the 3ds i I should note that like this version specifically you're running around a 3d open world the enemies are in the overworld so you can like choose to run into them or not like so there's no random encounter battles it just feels a lot like something the scope of 11 shrunk down onto the 3ds in all the ways that you would expect them to need to like cut that stuff down to make it work on that console um but again like it does work on that console in ways that are really surprising and in ways that are better than the PS2 version, which like obviously looks better in some ways. But for the most part, it seems like this is really kind of the definitive way to play this game. And and the more I play of it and the more I look up the differences between this and the PS2 version, like the more that becomes evident. I've been playing this kind of on and off in the way I played 11, where like I'm not very far in the game really at all. Uh, but I've been playing it like 15 minutes to a half an hour at a time for, I don't know, like a month or two, I guess. And I just love having that ritual still. I really thought that after Dragon Quest XI, after playing as much of that as we did, that I would eventually have like a kind of burnout phase with Dragon Quest. We're like, okay, that was really fun. I did that for like a whole year and a half and like I really need to move on to something else. And that has not been the case for me at all. Like yeah. Dragon Quest Eight, like I really just rolled right into Dragon Quest Eight, and I've been having a great time with it still. I think it's a testament to why this series is so successful is like it has that really positive ritual. It's just like, cozy. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cozy. And the thing about Eleven, is 11 kind of lulls you into a safe mindset of like it's going to be a cozy story and then it gets very high stakes and interesting yeah without saying too much i think i think it's worth knowing that going into 11 i think it's worth knowing that like it's eventually going to pick up in ways you may not expect yes um eight is like very comfortable being almost paper mario-esque in like how goofy and self-aware it is yeah so the thing about eight is that um unlike 11 where you can have the like beautiful arranged symphonic orchestra and have um english subtitles with the japanese voice acting that did a because famously i wasn't like super into 11 the first time and then i got the definitive version on game pass and like fell in love with it bought it again played through all of it and we did a bonus about it just weirdly like those two things amongst other things that i talk about in the episode did a lot to like really make me go from like liking it to loving it to like making it one of my favorite rpgs of all time eight has a lot of the things that i didn't like about the pre-definitive version of 11 yeah but it works so well for this package that's like, the big that's the really yeah. confusing point i i was actually yeah. gonna ask you about exactly this because i i remembered like having the midi tracks and the and the english voice acting with all the cockney accents and stuff were like not really your jam in 11 but it's working for you in this one I I think because the story is much like simpler and goofier, you know, yeah. I think 11, like there were a lot of moments that called for like subtlety. And then Eric's like, Bob's your uncle. That's how you, it's like, Oh my God, this is so confusing. Yeah. But here it's like your first friend is this guy named Yangus. And mm-hmm. like, he's like, Oh, gov. And like, he just called, it's just, it's just the best. He's like straight out of like a uh, Monty Python or something, you know, yeah. like it's really like that extreme. And the story is like an evil wizard turned the king into like a 
troll and the princess into a horse and you just like happen to be around and you're helping them and like yeah. there's there's like a detachment in the same way that mario has like almost no reason to be there in paper mario like at least currently like the hero like in 11 it's like you are the luminary you've got to go to the king and then the plot unfolds and this it's like you're just like a guy like i, I just love that yeah, you're a guy with like a like an unfortunate outfit just like kind of <laughs> meandering around you're a guy with a mac and cheese bandana and a paddington raincoat like just who happened to be there <laughs> with a mouse in his pocket yeah with a mouse in his pocket i i love i love the vibe of it it's very simple it's very silly um there's some moments of drama here and there like i just met jessica who is like about to join the party and she yeah. has like kind of a tragic backstory but it's kind of hitting all the notes you want a dragon quest game to hit and like i think the combat is really fun it definitely picks up way faster than 11 does both in a good and a bad way in terms of difficulty in terms of like interestingness and difficulty because i think that <laughs> yeah. 11 for me the first time i played it i was like this is like really is this it because this is just like you're hitting like attack and just attack for like the first few hours of that game you know right, it really yeah. isn't until you get veronica and serena that like you see what other options are there and then the, then the battle system suddenly becomes like way more compelling and you see like what strategies there are like buffing and debuffing and timing I think in this game, like it's a similar thing where you only have so many abilities right away. But what's cool is that you can actually see like the way the game uh, handles leveling the characters. It's not the sphere grid of 11, but it's almost like a and d sheet. And they, sh you know, so you'll have like, OK, do you want to put points into swords or heroism or spears and you yeah. can see like from you know if you have nine points in it you'll unlock this ability to like if you have 150 you'll unlock this you can kind of see like at least at this point in the game the full scale of the potential growth yeah you can plan it out like from go which is right really nice because i i found in 11 that sphere grid to be like extremely daunting and then not only that but they would start to like add more things to the sphere grid they'd be like oh you hit level whatever and now suddenly there's like 50 more pieces of the sphere grid that that are available for you to unlock which is like just so much to take in so if you like me i'm, I'm the kind of person who like you know i i'm enjoying playing turn-based rpgs like this but i still need like as much help as i can get so in instances in dragon quest 11 i would like google hey just tell me what abilities to unlock like what's actually just good for the hero and for <laughs> for everyone um and uh, and and I found a lot of conflicting stuff because the sphere grid is so complicated that it kind of allows you to do whatever. And like I've talked to friends of ours who have also played Eleven who kind of went about it that way. They're just like I did whatever I wanted and like ended up having a great time. But I I really wanted to know like what is going to help me <laughs> be able to play this game. Uh, and eight is so easy. Eight is so parsable. Like there's almost no research that needs to be done. At least on my end, it really is just like okay, spears look cool, so I'm just going to do. <laughs> spears i guess and like yeah that's great I'm, I'm really glad to be able to just like immediately from go know exactly what the thing is going to look like and that's kind of the appeal of dragon quest as a franchise right like just being able to so easily lull yourself into this like fantasy world that's going to do exactly the things you want it to at exactly the times it's going to it's really nice it weirdly is like a different approach to design by subtraction which we talked about with eco and shadow yeah. of the colossus where it's like it's not like many minimalist in in the same sense but it's like they know what you want from this series and, and that's I think exactly that what they give you the best version of those things yeah right and it's a really delicate balance i think that there's you know i think as we've compared the two the inverse of this approach is pokemon where like 
there's a good amount of the Pokemon series where people were like really hungry for something new, yeah. you know, and they were kind of just doing rinse, wash, repeat of the same formula. Again, we both adore that series and I pretty much don't dislike a single game, but like that balance wasn't being pulled off the same way it is in Dragon Quest where like the things they add are like fresh enough that it does feel like a new thing. So like for example, yeah. Dragon Quest 4 has the whole thing of like you play as multiple characters from their point of view and then they eventually all come together mm-hmm. kind of almost like Octopath but like actually they come together <laughs> and they're not just yeah. randomly together. 11 I think selling point is like it's easily like the entry point and I think it secretly has a really compelling story and a great cast. Yeah. Like probably I will be very surprised if there's a better cast in this series than that one. Yeah. And five, which I've played the most of other than 11 and I've been playing five a lot, but I'm kind of stuck at a boss, but five is like a really dramatic story that like has this almost kind of merciless pace to it. where like, it's really bittersweet how quickly your character grows up and it follows this character from when he's like a little kid and he relies on his father to when he's a father of his own fighting alongside his family. So you have this like really kind of bittersweet story alongside, you can also recruit monsters to fight with you. So it's like the precursor to Pokemon in a weird way. So like yeah. five is like really unique, even though it has the same monsters and the same kind of beats you want from the game. It really does stand apart from the rest. And that's, I think what they do so well is like, I always, I, I, I have the tools I need, but the expectations are off. Yeah. And eight is like, I think the most comfortable just being like, let's just have a fun adventure. We're not going to make this uh, arbitrarily more meaningful than it needs to be. We know why you're here. Let's, it really does remind me of Paper Mario, how silly it is. Mm. Like, you know, a character will show up and Yangus will be like, Oi, Gov, how'd you get here? And like, you know, there's like a lot of self-awareness and tongue-in-cheek stuff that doesn't feel grating. It's not like uh, uh, winking at the camera in a way that shows a lack of confidence. It's just like very silly. And I think it's hard to pull off comedy in a fantasy adventure to get you to both care enough about the stakes and want to go on this adventure with this crew, but also kind of laugh at it in the moments. Like, yeah, perfect example is like, I'm at a point where Jessica's like, kind of coerced us into fighting this sea beast and the sea beast pops up and in uh love final fantasy but if this is final fantasy 10 dramatic music would play and the beast would pop out and the screen would swirl and we would fight it in this game the squid pops up and goes all these boats are so mean to mr calamari and he's talking to himself (laughs) with two of his tentacles as if they're both puppets and there are two personalities like yeah we gotta show these people who are so mean to mr calamari and it like really is that voice and it's just like and it's a tough boss you know and it's (laughs) they just took the opportunity to point out like almost how silly an arbitrary boss fight is and also kind of make you root for mr calamari i just like (laughs) while you're kicking his ass i just love shit like that yeah it weirdly also is kind of i think what undertale did so well where undertale kind of realized like rpgs have all these like wild monster designs but really they're just like conduits for experience points yes what if we really took the time to like show what personalities are here and and how every character in the game has a story whether the story is about them or not Mm. and dragon quest weirdly is like also doing that in moments i really like eight too i'm i I think i will probably maybe revisit this as we get further in but i'm really impressed by it and it's if you have a 3ds it's a must get like if you're curious about the series yeah yeah it's like a it's like a no-brainer game 
game. As soon as you turn it on, yeah, if you've played enough 3DS games and you turn on Dragon Quest VIII, it's like night and day what this game is doing with the hardware compared to pretty much like literally everything else. Yeah. It, again, shocking when you turn it on. And I, I think for a long time... And, and I, I can't really like point at anything that says this definitively, but I do think before 11 had come out, like eight was the entry point for most people. It was because it really does like a lot of the things that we love about 11. And, and I think one of the one of the more interesting magic tricks that this game is pulling on me. And, and I think you'll probably hit this point before me, or at least it'll hit you harder than it would me knowing how you and I play these games separately is that it's a really slow growth into stakes in this game. Whereas 11 is like, there are almost no stakes until suddenly there are a lot and it's like gets really heavy really quickly. I think eight is going to kind of be a slow growth there. So all of this comedy and all of these characters being so wild, like we'll kind of get lulled into a sense of comfort with them. And then when there are stakes, it won't even matter that they're still being very silly about it because we love them so much by the point yes. that we hit that. Whereas but, I think 11 was kind of like, 11 is a little bit more back and forth with its tone. Yeah. Um, this game seems to be a very even growth towards like what I think will probably end up being just as heavy, but sure. much further down the line than 11. I agree. And, and that's what the series does so well is they endear you to the world and the characters. So yeah. even if they're like simply written, it's it's still like you love them because of the time you spend with them. And in the game, comedy you know yeah. i mean these games are really funny all of them are really funny like yeah. they make me laugh to no end but yeah i mean eight it definitely has fewer like 11 definitely has the best quality of life features eight is a little bit rougher but there's still a lot of great stuff you get the spell zoom right away if you put points in heroism which like lets you fast travel to anywhere you've been and in terms of like how grindy it is like these games make and this might be a hot take, but I mean, you and I are a fan of this series now. I enjoy training in these games. I don't know what it is. Me too. I don't yeah. know how they have tricked me in this way. Because I don't normally like grindy games, but there's just something about... I think 11 and 8 and 5 are really great at like giving you the space between the clap moments. Where like, mm. you know, they'll maybe make the next des destination like... A town's person will be like, oh, the next place you have to go is this harbor, but it's kind of far away. Make sure you prepare before you go. And the and the walk there might take like 10 minutes. And like that might sound tedious, but again, the setting and the atmosphere are so endearing. And just the little bit of character that's peppered in with leveling up and having this like D&D &D sheet where it's like Yangus has more compassion now. He can heal. Like <laughs> yeah. it's almost like your mind is filling in the blanks. It, it reminds me a lot of how in Wind Waker... It took a long time to sail somewhere, mm. which is like a common critique of the game. But I really liked that because I just it added to the scale, you yes. know, and it's again, it's a delicate balance. It's like a little bit here and there can make the difference between being like intentional and like, OK, this sounds cool in theory, but are you actually pulling it off? And ultimately is all subjective. But eight is really wonderful. And like you said, in the West, at least it was the hit before 11, because I think it was more accessible in a lot of ways and also it had like it was one of the first times they like tried to really market a dragon quest game in the west yeah actually i i think i had a disc of ff12 they did a cross promotion campaign where like the same time ff12 came out they were also promoting dragon quest 8 yeah there was a demo for final fantasy 12 on the dragon quest 8 disc and there was a demo for dragon quest 8 on the final fantasy 12 disc which is actually like secretly like our golden year for rpgs at Weirdly this point enough, yeah that's the biggest surprise for me doing the show is how much we both love 12 you know because that was Dude, like yeah. that was like the bad one in my memory and i'm like oh no man you're telling me that one. you steven helger <laughs> are surprised that you like a game called the zodiac age <laughs> 
Okay, point taken. I I liked it, but I just sort of forgot about it. But it's really great. If you haven't played Twelve, it's a really wonderful time. It's like secretly, the Switch port is wonderful. Yeah, it's also on Game Pass if you if you don't have a Switch. Great. But yeah, I think we will probably come back to this game if it does like pick up in that way. And we want to talk more about the plot. I would be happy to. Um, but I'm really happy that we've been kind of slowly digging through the Dragon Quest series. I also have three on the Switch, um, and I have four on my phone. But I think what I'll probably do is like slowly play through eight like you're doing and eventually i'm like towards the last act of five and i really want to finish five because five is like yeah five is really good five i think it's like if you want to get into the series play 11 if you want to have a fun time play eight and if you want to cry a little bit and catch pokemon play five (laughs) i uh i i still have a sneaking suspicion that there will be more games coming to the switch weirdly enough you know, I, I kind of compared this a little bit to Persona, where like Persona mm. 4 was like kind of the big one that primed a lot of people for Persona 5. You know, like Persona yes. 4 Golden came out on the Vita and became this like thing that was like, OK, well, Persona always had a presence in the West a little bit. But Persona 4 was like so good and so released at just the right time. Golden being on the on the Vita, which was like blowing up as like not a not a console that a lot of people were buying, obviously, considering where the Vita has ended up. But like the right people who are like in media, for example, were like just extolling the virtues of the Vita and kind of hyping it up. Persona 4 was like the game to play on it. I think it just primed a lot of people to like have interest in the franchise. So when five dropped, it was like massive, you know? Yeah. That's kind of like like eight and 11. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like Dragon Quest VIII was like the game that came out on the PS2 that like primed a lot of people to be like stoked about whatever the next one that looked like that was. And then they kind of meandered a little bit because, you know, nine ended up being um, a, a, an MMO. Ten ended up not being like eight literally at all. Actually, ten was the MMO. Nine was on the oh, yeah. DS. Vice, but it was vice versa. That's yeah, what I mean. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but eleven like became the thing specifically when it launched on Switch, you know, like, yeah, eleven being released in the form that it was with the definitive edition with the symphonic music and all that kind of stuff being released on the switch was like such a great entry point for people and i I think weirdly enough a lot of the success of that game comes from eight being so good on the 3ds Um, i agree yeah i agree and 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 i think because of it'd be very silly for square enix to not try and capitalize that on in some way i agree i mean they've been pretty like it seems like you know on game pass there's almost every final fantasy game 11 dragon quest 11 is also on game pass yeah uh and same on switch like you can get almost every final fantasy game on switch so doesn't it just feel like square enix like has this they finally achieved what they wanted to with dragon quest and like they can now just kind of almost like they had this like little plan like wrapped up in, in like a little <laughs> box like somewhere in a back room of square enix that was like break in case of emergency dragon quest success and like yeah. now they could just like open it up it's like pandora's box of dragon quest one two and three are on switch yes. worth noting yeah but yeah I, I totally agree i think they're at a point where they could do that and like it would probably do really well yeah i wonder if it would be on game pass first that feels like the logical step but they would like kind of use that data to see but then I have, again i have a sneaking suspicion that they're going to localize the mmo and that's going to be on Ooh. xbox because they oh did exactly that with fantasy star that was like the yeah. big thing was like bringing fantasy star online 2 to xbox and like localizing it like i really think that that's going to happen potentially and I, and i know that that's like that's like saying that they're going to release mother 3 in the west you know officially to a lot of people but it, it just feels like the stars are kind of aligning on that front because microsoft and square have just like formed this like weird bond over over the success of game pass and adding all the final fantasy stuff there like it just feels like that's the future Brendan, I can't wait to show up to a party with you once we're both fully immune, both wearing sunglasses, listening to our Zunes, 
and someone coming over being like, hey, you have a video game podcast, right? What would you recommend getting? And we say the Xbox Series S to play the Dragon Quest X MMO. <laughs> it's like, who are these ironic fucks trying to pretend they're cool? Did I talk about my experience with that MMO at all on the show? Did I mention that? You mentioned it. I think you mentioned you were playing it, but I don't remember what you said about it. So please, while we're on the subject, why not? Just an just an awful time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I heard it's not great. Well, no, no, it's no, it's really good. It's just an oh. awful. It's an awful time if you have to hold up your phone using the Google oh, Lens, right. Google Translate, <laughs> to yeah. like kind of understand what some of the menus mean and like not have all the charm, you know. But like, it's an incredible game, and it's available on the Switch in Japan. And like, I just, it just feels so close yet so far, you know? Yeah, that would, that would destroy us. We would have to stream that. That would be, that would be amazing. Oh my God. You and I being able to stream the Dragon Quest MMO together would be the silliest experience. <laughs> That's up there with like Elder Scrolls Online for me is Which like is a like, potential w- thing. W- now within our power and we're both like scared to do it. I think that's the problem. Uh, like, I, th- I think it's fear. We, we, think we it's just also... got to David Bowie it. If it makes us uncomfortable, then we just have to do it. <laughs> I think we should, once there's like another lull, because I think right now we're like approaching like a bunch of games at once. Yeah. But like once there's another lull, I would love to stream Elder Scrolls Online with you. Ugh. Yeah. In preparation for the Dragon Quest X MMO. <laughs> I'm, all I'm saying is expect more Dragon Quest. Yeah, as always. Cool. You want to move on? Yeah, let's do that. Oi, Gov. Cool. Blimey, where'd you come from? Goodbye. Hello. Have you heard of photo mode? <laughs> I used to be the king, but now I'm a little troll. <laughs> it's literally like that. Yeah, like that's very like much. That that's the voice. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I listen okay. to podcasts while I play. <laughs> That's not true at all. Welcome to a low-key video game podcast. No one respects me anymore. <laughs> I used to be the king. Now look at me. Look at me. Ah. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's move on. We got to get out of here. <laughs> I've never seen you look so scared. <laughs> all right, see you, see you soon. Steven, we're back. And I want Hello. to talk to you about a new video game for the Sony PlayStation 5. That's right. <laughs> so when you said that, it sounded fake. I don't know how. It's, <laughs> it you, still yeah. sounds fake coming out of my mouth. I completely <laughs> agree with you. It's for some reason very silly that we're in a new generation of consoles to me. Yeah, it still doesn't feel like as much as I love the Series S, like the games we played on it have all been older ones. Like, yeah. you know, I think that's kind of the point currently. I am excited to see what comes out like first party for Microsoft, but yeah. you know, we'll see. Yeah, the only like exclusive I've played was uh, the Medium and like I didn't really like it that much. Some people really liked it. It didn't really work for me. I I, I didn't bring it to the show, so like I wasn't like ecstatic yeah. about it. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of Microsoft stuff because it's like they acquired Bethesda and there's like a a lot of like big stuff looming. Yeah, they have like but, 80 studios now. Yeah. Like I'm sure, I'm sure they're all coming up with cool shit that's going to end up on Game Pass eventually. Right. Um, weirdly enough, PlayStation's been in kind of like a strange spot because like the PS5 is selling better than the PS4 did at this yeah. point in its life cycle. Yeah. Which is wild considering it's still very difficult to get one like that it's selling that well. Right. Um, and the big question I've been asking, I guess, for a while is just like, OK, but like, what can I play on it? Because all the stuff I've been playing is all older stuff, essentially. Even Near Replicant, which is like a new release that you and I played last week and I'm playing on my PS5, is still a PS4 game. Like, it's not a yeah. PS5 version of that game. It's like just literally a version that's available on the PS4. So like... There hasn't really been a whole lot to play on the PS5, I think, you know, outside of like games are being remastered. But like in terms of new stuff, it's like, OK, what 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 is your 
what is your like i'm stepping up to bat and this these are my like thoughts and feelings and this is what the new generation is going to be um and i think there's been kind of like a conversation recently about how sony's been a little bit um ambivalent to like take chances on things you you and i've talked off the show a little bit about how like apparently they're remaking the first last of us and like you know do they really need to do that they took some studios or they took some like teams apart that were like working on more interesting stuff and like put them on that and then like took that away from them and now that's back in naughty dog's hands and whatever it's just like the influence that naughty dog has had on the lineup of sony has kind of created as we've talked about a lot over the course of the entire show this like almost auteur vibe i think for like sony's first party games in general just like over the shoulder third person like adventure games is kind of the idea you know action adventure for the most part and that has both served them well you know and not at times because sometimes that stuff can feel derivative but generally they have sold incredibly well they're like the reason you buy a playstation 4 specifically and i think going into the ps5 you and i had some concerns about like what's that going to look like on the ps5 if they just keep doing that whereas like microsoft is thinking about services and game pass and like x cloud and all like the future of like what being a person who owns a video game console or plays video games is sony is very much like just kind of you know planted their feet on the ground and said like no we're still going to make like the god of war style the last of us style game yeah and it's it's like you know i expected them to rest on their laurels but i'm disappointed to see that like they're not only resting on their laurels they are like taking everything and like pouring cement over their laurels we're like <laughs> nothing else is being invested in other than the things they know will work and like you know nintendo does that too like you know there's going to be a new zelda or a new mario or whatever i don't mind sony having that for themselves like i i keep wanting to get a ps5 but like and i know i eventually will because eventually games i want will come out for it but what the system is offering itself seems to be kind of a question mark, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, obviously it's like a super impressive piece of hardware and I'm sure like the games that are coming out for it that are exclusive to it are going to look amazing. All that's a given and all that's like worthy of admiration, but like the business model is really wild, especially given, uh, thankfully they reversed this, but there was that whole announcement of them, uh, disbanding the PS3 and Vita store yeah. Uh, you know, it's like it's almost like nothing else can exist or be worked on that isn't like a naughty dog game. <laughs> right. That's and that, kind of what it's felt like for a while. Yeah. And, and I think that was kind of where both of our like trepidation lied about like picking up PS5s at launch. Like I, I you and I definitely wanted at least one of us to have one at launch so we could like speak to it. So there wasn't like a kind of blank spot or, or, or just for the show in general. Um, yeah. And I'm so glad I got one and like I've been enjoying it. But I, I think Returnal was like going to be the big like all right finally there's like a for real ps5 exclusive this thing needs to prove the worth of the entire console which is like not a position that i would ever want to put any game studio in except for maybe naughty dog like again like naughty dog (laughs) is like the only company that i would be like so comfortable saying that to and for it to be housemark this like company that that is known for making like kind of arcade shoot 'em ups you know like uh rezo gun was kind of like one of their big breakout hits on the ps4 is like a, one of the ps4 launch titles is like a very simple like you kind of like fly a ship around a ring and shoot and avoid objects like that's kind of the whole game this is a huge undertaking for this studio specifically to be branching outside of that kind of gameplay into a more like as we just talked about classically sony first party title over the shoulder third person narrative driven adventure game. And I was a little bit nervous about all of that. 
And the thing that I I need to say about Returnal is that it so flies directly in the face of all of these ideas that Sony is playing it safe. Because this is the least safe video game you could release as your first <laughs> oh, yeah. huge fucking That's like, good to know. first party thing. In like nine out of ten cases, Returnal is like a fucking triumph of a video game. It is unbelievable. I, I have read a lot of reviews that read very negative and then at the end had like an incredible score, you know? Or like it would be just like negative paragraph after negative paragraph. And then the last one was like, but I fucking love it and I can't stop playing it. And like, that's exactly the kind of game that I'm always the most curious about are these ones where it's like very clear. There's going to be a pretty like wild discussion happening online um, in like the media community. And outside of that, obviously there's like the weird shitty, like Sony fanboy side of things where it's like, you gave this an eight and it should be a 10. It's like, get the fuck out of here. Like that's not interesting (laughs) or uh, even an opinion. Um, but <laughs> sorry, that's not even interesting or even an opinion. It was brutal. <laughs> anyway, continue. I believe that. Yeah, um, totally. <laughs> that said, the things about Returnal that people don't like, I very much understand. But the things that people love about Returnal, I also very much understand. And I think that's where like the nuance of this conversation needs to happen. Um, th- this like in between part. And I think we kind of weirdly alluded to it with Animal Crossing New Horizons, where like you just see the potential of greatness for this game. Like you can see where this game is almost perfect, but is just shy of it. And I think a huge reason why so many people are pointing out these flaws is because of the success of Hades, which like, again, yeah. an unfortunate place to be. But like Hades fucking changed the game for roguelikes in like a huge way. You know, every roguelike, whether you like it or not, is going to be compared to Hades because it succeeded at literally everything you could possibly do in a video game. Yeah, it's basically like being a platformer post Mario 64 in the late 90s. Yeah, or it's It's Horizon Zero Dawn versus Breath of the Wild all over again. You know, like like uh, this game is Horizon Zero Dawn and and Hades was Breath of the Wild in that case. And that's that's an unfortunate place to be. And that doesn't mean that games can't be their own thing. Right. Like like these games can obviously try and accomplish different things um, and do them in different ways and like improve or change the formula of this genre in their own ways. And for the most part, Housemark has like nailed it because I mean, how frequently are there AAA roguelikes in general? Very infrequently. Uh, I think uh, Prey Moon Crash is like maybe like the example. There aren't really too many. So the fact that they've done that at all and succeeded just on a base level, like that's just like the nicest thing I can say about this game is like they just could, they made a good triple A roguelike. That's awesome. That's really good. Um, and it's like a first party Sony exclusive. And that's also really cool. But there are a couple things here and there that I bump up against that I, I can't help but like point at Hades about. For example, this game is very interested in narrative. And I, I think that's kind of where I wanted to like dive into what it is. So the game starts with you playing as a character named Celine, who is on a ship that crash lands on a planet that is like almost alien adjacent, like almost Geigery, but not really. Um, you can tell there's some inspiration there, but not totally. From what I watched of the video, the alien influence weirdly is more with like the ship in the UI and the like sci-fi equipment totally. over the monsters themselves, yes. which is actually really interesting. I, I love that about it. The thing yeah. that it that I could really point to, and this is just for you and me and for no one else, but the thing <laughs> okay. that I could point to and say this is where this, this is like the visual identity of this game is Remnant from the Ashes. This mm. game feels so much to me like Remnant, but at, like Remnant also like a roguelike kind of Dark Souls adjacent thing. Yeah. Um, 
this game kind of has a similar art direction in terms of like the creature design and that, the world, yeah. which is very cool. But the actual gameplay is like a bullet hell kind of almost near automata kind of experience. It You can tell mm-hmm. that this team has had a lot of time like kind of meditating over the idea of their previous games, these like bullet hell kind of arcade shoot 'em up experiences. And they've managed to take that and like transplant it into like a very beautifully designed really interestingly art directed 3d world with all these like just terrifying fucking creatures that you need to like shoot and avoid and whatever and that is really compelling i mean like the world design by itself is so interesting and so cool they've really taken the thing that is inherent to roguelikes which is like needing to bump up against every edge that exists to figure out what things are and what items do and like why you would want to pick this thing up and not this thing and whatever they've managed to figure out a way to like anchor that in the narrative in the same way Hades was able to you know like that's really cool that's where this game succeeds beyond most roguelikes in ways that I think are great because you as like a scientist astronaut crash landing on this planet are also trying to figure this out. You have to scan every object the first time you see it so you could like get a better idea of what it is and Celine will like say a little thing about like what this thing is and if it's cool or not. And that's great, you know, like being able to have like an endemic way to explain why these things are here the way they are is really, really cool. Um, Outside of that, the game just like feels fucking great. Like it just like controls perfectly. But the problem that I'm running into at the moment and the thing that I'm seeing in most reviews that I very much agree with is... The narrative is great. The narrative is really cool because Celine is on this planet. Every time she dies, she comes back because it's a roguelike. Uh, Every time she dies, she uh, wakes up in her body like seconds before the crash happens again. So she has to relive this crash land on this planet over and over and over again every time. And then she wakes up. It's like, oh, that sucked. And then is like making her way out. But it's very clear that the planet is trying to communicate with her. And I don't I, I haven't seen anything that really like proves this. It's just a theory I have at the moment. But it's clear that the planet has like in some way like scanned her brain or something and is trying to communicate with her in some way because every once in a while you'll see an Apollo era astronaut just following you, which is like mm. very scary. Yeah, <laughs> first of all, yeah. um, which like I never thought that that object that that spacesuit could be scary, but it sure right. is in this game. Yeah. Um, when you play enough of the game in the first area, the first like level, I guess. Every once in a while, you'll come across Celine's house that she just like left behind. She's just like, how is my house here? Eventually, you'll find a key that will let you go into the house and you can explore it. And she's like, this is exactly how I left it. Or like there will be like a weird message on the answering machine. It weirdly becomes PT in those moments. Yeah, it like, looks like the house in the trailer. It looks like PT at the end. Yeah, it yeah. just it just transitions from third person into first person when you're exploring this house. And it becomes oh, like, cool. It becomes a really effective, like slow, moody horror game, um, kind of like the most recent Resident Evils in that way, where like the the ghost or the specter or the vampire or whatever in this case is an Apollo era astronaut. And in most instances, I'm like, this is really cool. I really like this. But then they just kind of rip you out of it. You know, like you'll get to a certain point that's like, oh, this is getting weird. This is getting weird. Or you'll like read a thing that kind of gives you a little bit of a hint as to like what's going on with Celine, which like the answer is generally all bad. (laughs) She is like a mess of a person. It seems like so far, I don't really know anything specific, but like she's got a lot of stuff she needs to work out. And it seems like the planet and Returnal as a game is trying to say something. It's about something. But What I've seen in all these reviews and now I can back up is that like great first impression. First hour is awesome. The first like 
run or two that you do, you'll have a really good time and you'll be very confused as to why all these reviews like lean so negative or like bring up all these flaws. And the answer is once you hit 10 hours, which I now have, it very quickly goes off the rails in terms of like, I haven't seen anything narrative wise in like five to six hours at this point. Mm. Because the game makes a crucial mistake, in my opinion, Uh, as a person who loves roguelikes has played like a ton, ton, ton of them. It makes a crucial mistake of weighing the player's success on their ability to pick up the game mechanically versus allowing them to have like interesting runs via the items and equipment that you're finding. Hades, I think, again, I I hate to bring up Hades, but it's like such an obvious comparison point here. Sure. Hades is so good at like as soon as you start a run, you have a boon immediately. Like you'll have an item that you get to pick up immediately. And sometimes that first item will be so wild that it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to build my whole run about this. This is amazing. This is like the best thing I could have possibly gotten. And sometimes it's uninspiring, but like still fine, you know? Yeah. Returnal literally can never have that. Like Returnal is built in such a way where the items that you pick up and the and the things that you get, it, it's all the classic roguelike shit. Like you pick up these things called parasites that you like attach to your arm or your leg or whatever, and they have like positives and they have negatives. It's like, okay, so sometimes you'll take fall damage, which sucks, but also you'll get more money. Things like that. It's like very classic roguelike stuff. They just named it all different stuff. Like I'm not really going to get into that because it's like kind of a classic situation. But because of that, because it's like these parasites are like literally just like stat boosts and decreases increases all the weapons are like kind of minor upgrades from the previous ones you got you have a pistol you have like an automatic rifle and you have a shotgun and eventually you'll start unlocking more that are like fine but not super interesting i've only unlocked one so far that i'm like not super into honestly um which was like very disappointing again after 10 hours of playing to unlock a new weapon and be like oh i hate this that's (laughs) not very good so really what the game is asking you to do is to get better at the actual game and like while that is fun and cool and exciting um that also brings it closer to like a dark souls mentality than i would like it to you know um it, it kind of gets closer to enter the gungeon in a way you know just as like a top-down bullet hell shooter game but even enter the gungeon every once in a while because there are like hundreds of weapons in there like every once in a while you'll find a gun that'll just like make you laugh or like will be like so wildly overpowered that like you'll make it way further than ever before just because you got that one thing returnal doesn't have that and returnal can never have that and that really bums me out about it and that's i think the reason that a lot of people are going to bounce off of this game and that's why i think it's such like a huge uh risk for them to take as like this being the first First, like marquee PS5 game is like, I don't know who I could recommend this to because even people who like roguelikes, I don't know if they would like it. And then people who like uh, Souls games who like and crave that kind of combat, I think would also probably bounce off of it because so frequently you'll go up and fight a boss and then die and lose all of your progress. And at least in Dark Souls, sometimes you'll learn a little bit more about how that enemy moves or whatever, or you'll like learn more about the path that it took you to get there. But that path is completely like restructured and becomes a new thing next time anyway. So it's that exact thing that you always talk about with Sekiro that like is your like biggest bummer point with Sekiro, which is like you start at one of the um, bonfire adjacent things and you have to go to a boss and there's like 15 enemies on the way there you know that you just like hate needing to fight imagine that but you didn't know where the enemies were what kind of enemies they were (laughs) or even how to get from point a to point b every time that's a good comparison yeah like that's i mean yeah that sounds really taxing in a way that isn't rewarding and that's again another delicate balance i think the another thing again and again i know it's it's tough to compare to hades because hades is going for a very different tone and atmosphere and everything Mm -hmm. 
But what Hades, I think, did really well for the roguelike genre is that it really rewards you for playing it regardless of victory. Yes. You know, and I think that like it sounds like Returnal is is equally invested in like taking advantage of the roguelike genre to tell a story based on what you're telling me and based on what I've seen. But I think uh, the idea that like you can go through that long of the game without any story beats is disappointing given what they're doing with it. Whereas yeah. with Hades, like you could lose in the first room for 10 hours and you will have learned about the characters and like there will still be new dialogue with Hypnos. They might even comment on the fact that you haven't progressed past the first room. Right. Like, you know, uh, and again, like that's where Hades is like going to be very hard to match probably forever. Like <laughs> I don't know if there yeah. will ever be a game that has like that much dynamic writing to it. And I don't think there needs to be because I think that the lesson to be learned from Hades is not let's have a bunch of dialogue, but it's let's reward the player and have a sense of progress regardless of how well you're doing, you know? And that's, I think, really important for a game that's like all about runs. Because then eventually you'll get to the mindset of, I want to get better at this. But it's like setting you up to succeed rather than just like throwing mud at you. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, and I I think one of the things, uh, just to touch on that point even further, is like Hades is an accessible video game. You know, Hades has a thing called God Mode that you can turn on where every time you die, you get like 2% more powerful or something Uh, and that's like better attack damage and also you take less damage so eventually you'll be able to just see the story like if you turn on god mode eventually you'll just be able to see all of it and like you will have the experience that like you and i described i mean it was our game of the year last year mainly because of the narrative like the game itself is great but the narrative is like really the kind of like beating heart of that game it's beautiful yeah um and, and anyone could see that and that's why we're able to recommend that game to literally everybody because it's so accessible on uh like up front you know when it just yeah. asks you if you want to turn that mode on or not return I am so invested emotionally in the narrative and I'm so interested in what this game is trying to say, who Celine is, why she's here, why the planet is trying to communicate with her in this way and putting her through this like hellish experience because it seems like it's something that she needs to go through to come out on the other end and like have some kind of like huge emotional shift. But the fact that I'm not able to see that unless I'm able to beat the second boss, which I currently cannot really, really like bums me out uh, because they've done such amazing work here. They've done like an incredible job. And that is the kind of thing that I think could be fixed in like a balance patch or something like a God mode, yeah. you know, if they wanted to add something like that in even just difficulty modes or whatever, which like you, you know, if you are into the idea of that challenge, you could not use those options you know it's kind of my my thought about that always you totally. know, sometimes people bump up against the idea of like and, and i want to point out too that you're someone who takes on these types of challenges yes. like you play the souls games and you have finished a lot of them like you crave like you crave games that like really make you learn the language of the game whether it's like the puzzles of fez or like the combat of a souls game so the fact that you're being like i can't do this not that you're like you know uh, pro gamer brendan but like yeah. you're someone who welcomes that challenge and you're not having a good time which i think speaks a lot that's the thing is like yeah the minute to minute gameplay is amazing like i'm ha- i'm really yeah, awesome i'm like having a lot of fun playing returnal and exploring it and just like there are some things here and there i could get really in the weeds about it and i'm not going to um you know watch like i I have a youtube video already up on the channel about it i'll probably do another one that goes a little bit more in depth about like the things that i like very specifically about how it like takes the roguelike genre and kind of like adds some fun twists to it but like as an overall package i think it's really really strong it just needs a couple tweaks to like be completable by like normal people because like right now the two ps5 exclusives are demon souls and returnal (laughs) which is nonsense (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's actually very funny. And bug snacks. And bug snacks. Yeah. Yeah. So like. I'm just in this situation where like I would love to be able to tell people to get this game because I think like from an art direction standpoint, from a narrative perspective, like really great stuff is happening here. But it's just so crushingly difficult that like I'm having a hard time saying to literally anyone like, yes, this is a thing that you should pick up because I am the target audience for this. And even I am like, I don't know if I should have gotten this game yet. You know, I think this is going to be a situation where eventually a patch will come out that will make it more accessible to people. And that'll be great. Even when that happens though to bring this full circle the fact that you're never getting an item that makes you overpowered or or like the fact that you you know start a run and you kind of know exactly what's going to happen because like the variables that can change are not that interesting is not something that can be easily fixed by like taking a knob and like twisting it to the left or right yeah you know and that sounds like less of an accessibility issue more of just like a fun issue where it's like yeah. i think you want and, and that ultimately is subjective but i think you're right that in, in a lot of the fun of hades is like one run you might you know have a bunch of bu- boons that like are from dionysus and make you do like poison damage to everyone yeah uh, and then one time you might find weird combos and like, there's like really endless curiosity there of, like and you, you go in get. with different weapons which all like change the game in dramatic ways whereas in this game it's like okay i have pistol or i have shotgun or i have automatic <laughs> rifle and it like sounds like kind of muted in that sense yeah, yeah. There, there's not really a lot of variation from run to run so it really ends up just being like you can uh, this is very important runs can take like an hour to two hours you know like they take mm-hmm. a really long time before you end up you know dying um and if you didn't do anything of note in those hour to two hours like you're just back at the beginning and you haven't like progressed and it really just made all of that time meaningless outside of like practicing existing in the world, which like is fun to some people and is fun to a certain extent because the game is so like well tuned in terms of just like sure. gameplay. But the overall experience of it being a roguelike is not satisfying. And that's kind of the thing that I, I, I think is like so frustrating about it because it's so close to being great. It does all of these things so well. But if I was just able to see a little bit more of the story or if some of the items were just a little bit more interesting and made runs like, I, I don't know, made me like really switch up my my experience or my strategy, then that would be way more compelling to me, I think. But at the moment, that's not the case. And that kind of is a bummer. Yeah, it does sound really intriguing. Though. I mean, honestly, when I get a PS5, I will probably pick it up. Like, weirdly, you have sold me on it, even though we've had this discussion. Again, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to be as like balanced as possible. You here are. Because you like, are. again, like 90% of this game I love. And then it's like yeah. that last 10% that just well, like, this should be there like, and is not. This is your genre, too. So yeah. I think like not, you know, like I, I think that you have a good eye for these kind of things. And again, you're like the target audience for this. Um, not to like put your opinion on a pedestal too much, but like I just think you're being completely fair. But I really want to play. I mean, it sounds like what is there is really intriguing. And again, I'm really happy that there are risks being taken here because like, yeah, my and like the irony is like you and I both like Naughty Dog games, but I'm just like very <laughs> yeah. weary of the changes that have happened with that company. While they make great games. I just don't want their success to come at the cost of like a their employees and b other teams. You know, right. that's like yeah. a really scary reality. But that's cool, man. I mean, there's some even right now, like I really want to check out uh, Solar Ash. Yeah. Uh, was it Annapurna? Right or no? Uh, Solar Ash, I think, is the uh, Hyper Light Drifter team, right? Right. It's Gravity Rush, but like in their style, which yeah. is it might I'm be Annapurna published. You might be right about that. Mm. Uh, there's uh, Canna Bridge of Spirits. Yeah. Right. That looks awesome. There's some cool stuff coming out. 
but you know. Yeah, the PS5 has some like in the bag, like absolute winners kind of on the horizon. You know, like Final Fantasy 16, even if it's oh bad, like, it's going to be a Final <laughs> Fantasy game regardless. You know, so that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. And it's just interesting that like it all hinges on Returnal in a way. Because right. I, I just imagine so many people and like to kind of put a spotlight on the, the like Sony fanboys I'm referring to. Even I imagine a lot of them are going to play this game and find it way too difficult to progress and then put it down and be like confused as to why they didn't like the PS5 exclusive. You know what I mean? Like, I I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to play this game because it's the only thing available for the PS5 right now. um, That's like new and shiny and interesting and like takes advantage of the hardware and all the different ways that it's supposed to, uh, who are just going to like completely bounce off of it within like maybe the first hour or two hours because a, they didn't use the term roguelike at all in the marketing, uh, which like maybe confuses some people as to what it is, even though the name itself is Returnal. So like you should have a pretty good idea. This can be a Groundhog Day scenario. Um, right. But outside of that, that it's like crushingly difficult because that is not the thing that I was expecting it to be. I knew it was going to be a roguelike. I did not know it was going to be as hard as it is. And that's the thing I'm more surprised by than anything else, I think. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe in like six to eight months, there's going to be like a, a bunch of updates to that game that will make it easier for some people you know and like i'm a person as you said who like really enjoys playing things like demon souls and dark souls and like that whole kind of franchise i love roguelikes i've played and beaten a bunch of them this is a game that like i think i would probably put on an easy mode if it existed just because i'm so interested in the story and like that says a lot about how good the story is too totally i think because like that's the thing that's really driving me to continue playing it yeah returnal is a weird thing i will say this uh just on like the ps5 hardware front um it makes use of the dual sense controller it's like a fucking dream it's unbelievable yeah. how cool this game feels in the hand to play they use like every kind of haptic feedback that that controller allows for and it all rips it's really cool it feels like astro's playroom but better it's like all the things that they like tested out in astro's playroom to just like show you what it could do like returnal does all of it the thing beyond that that i think is really cool and something i completely forgot the ps5 even had in it was um it has this like 3d spatial audio kind of thing um that works only if you plug headphones into the controller but it's any pair of headphones like it takes any pair of headphones that exist it doesn't have to be like any kind of like special headphones or like a big sound stage or whatever um, you can take any pair of headphones, plug it into the DualSense controller, and you get 3D spatial audio, which goes far beyond being just like a cool novelty. It's like, ooh, I can hear a raindrop behind me and becomes like a thing that actually gives you better awareness of your surroundings and makes you better at playing Returnal. They say in the in the audio menu, like if you open up the settings, they say Returnal is best played with headphones, and I completely agree. If you put mm. headphones... I have not died in many, many situations because I'm playing with headphones on which like oh wow <laughs> is shocking to me that like I can yeah. hear an enemy behind me and I know to turn around and like shoot it or jump or dash away or whatever that's cool man that's really good shit uh, I, I love the way it's using the PS5 again more here to love than not but the stuff that I don't love is enough for me to say, like, r- you should probably hold off on this game. Also, it's $70. Like, it's very expensive. You know, it's, yeah. it's the first Sony game that is, like, full priced for the next generation. Uh, whereas on Xbox, it would probably come straight to Game Pass or $70 if you wanted to buy it outright. But, like, it would probably also be available on Game Pass. On PlayStation, because they don't have any services like that, they are asking every time they have a big first party release that people pay upfront $70 to take a chance on that thing. And that is getting to the point of it being too much for me, a person who is a co-host on a video game podcast. 
Like yeah. you and I will like generally willy nilly kind of just like buy whatever we're interested in. $70 even now is like getting to the point of me being like, I don't know if I can continue taking chances on PS5 games because of how expensive they are. Yeah. And I mean, I don't have the exact stats, but like I remember reading that the average person buys one or two games a year yes. like at that price, yeah. whether it's higher or lower than that. Like I would probably guess that that's around the truth. You know, I think that like if you're not doing a video game podcast, you probably get like just a handful of games and they're going to be limiting their business by that being the, the norm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I have no business expertise, but I just can't imagine that that's going to help. And again, I also know the other side, as we have often discussed, that like even when games were 60 on the PS4, that was barely enough to cover the cost of of funding these like giant AAA things. Yeah. And that's why they also have to have DLC and all that. And it just creates like an unsustainable system of like demand to even break even and like how much money people have to spend on games totally you know so i think that like in the long run i really hope sony ends up making a service like game pass because i think that that's just going to help them out a lot yeah i like pretty much every playstation exclusive that i played i think they're all great but i i, I think like specifically turning your back on like your previous hits is a very confusing strategy for me you know like right now they seem to be embracing it by having the PlayStation Plus collection, which allows you to like download all the big PS4 exclusive games for free if you have PlayStation Plus, which is like the closest they have to Game Pass at the moment. That's really right. great. Like if you didn't have a PS4 and you buy a PS5, incredible service. Really cool. Like definitely take advantage of that. Play Persona, play The Last Guardian, play fucking God of War, like Last of Us. All that stuff is available there. Very cool. But there's also like a bunch of PS3 games I would love to be playing right now that I just can't. I have no way of doing that, you know? Um, and yeah. that, that makes me sad. I'm so excited to get the system. And again, like there is another side of this where they're resting on their laurels for a reason. The hits were good. Like, yeah, when you look at the library, of the PS4, it's really great. But I think like restricting that is dangerous, you know, and, and just think because that's like, I don't know, that that doesn't lead to anything interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Returnal is a game that you can go get on the PlayStation 5. <laughs> It's interesting. Again, I, I have a video up on our YouTube already of me playing like half of a run because um, I, I didn't have enough time to do a whole one uh, before I started work because the runs take so long. Oh, my God. The other I can't believe I didn't mention this. The other thing is that there's no way to save in the game. Oh, yeah. I saw some discussion about that online. You can't like stop a run halfway and then come back later. Like you need to like sit down for the whole thing. The only way to stop a run halfway is to put your PS5 in rest mode, which at the moment is known for being finicky enough that, that like the PS5 will crash if it's in rest mode for too long. <laughs> um, the game itself is prone to crashes also halfway through runs. That'll just like delete all your progress on that run as well. It's meta. You have to get a new PS5. Yeah you, yeah, you have to go back on like Newegg and find a <laughs> PS5 like bundle that's $850. There's another me at Best Buy buying a Zoom. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, one of the first things that happens in Returnal, which I really love, is like Celine crash lands and then walks out of like the first room. And the first thing she sees is her own dead body lying there. She picks up like a voice recording and she's like, this is day 150. She's like, oh, God, this is yeah. not going to be good for me. <laughs> yeah, really, really great setup. I really appreciate, too, that in that moment, she didn't go, it's me. You know, like the writing is really like yeah. smart enough to not just state the obvious. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, I, it was I picked cool. up one where um, I picked up one voice memo where she's like, it almost sounds like she's reading scripture, but it's like alien scripture. And she's like, 
what version of me has like completely lost their mind in this way? Like this is really <laughs> wild. It's like because you, you start to find um, like scribblings, I guess, all over the place of like the alien language of like whatever society used to live there. And the more of them you find kind of like starbound, weirdly, the more of them you find, the more you're able to like understand it. Uh, and you start to translate them like faster as you start to see them more. And and her dialogue in that moment is like exactly like the scripture stuff that you're like finding written all over the place. It's like, oh, man, there's a version of her that's like going to really go like down a very strange and like almost like religious rabbit hole that I'm very interested to see. But I will say this also, I I just want to mention this offhand as well. A lot of the footage that I've seen online um, centers around the first area, which are like very roguelike, like almost exactly what you'd expect, kind of like a like a Binding of Isaac or like a Hades room in that way, where like you walk through a door and you're in a room and like you have to clear out that room before you can go on to another room and things like that. The second area is like almost a totally like open world looking place, which is bizarre. Oh, cool. um, it just seems to be like an open world that's randomly generated. So it'll be like a whole like open area and then another whole open area attached to that and to the left and whatever you can choose which of these places to go to and from what i've heard the the areas past that also are very interesting in that way where they like really switch up like okay if you're gonna have this kind of budget to make this kind of game like what can we do environmentally that's going to be like shocking every single time that's awesome that also reminds me of remnant that was like the selling point of that i was just about to say that yeah exactly the second area feels so much like uh the like mad max area in remnant (laughs) hell yeah that's very cool That's cool, man. That's all I'll say about Returnal for now. I'm going to play a lot more of it, but I've already played like 10 hours. So I I think I might either be getting to the point where like I'm going to give up on it, you know, the way I've seen so many people talk about online or I'll probably push through and like maybe get good at it or something Uh, not to be that guy about it. But no, no, no. I mean, it sounds like you're invested enough in the narrative that you'll want. And that's probably what they wanted with the design of it is like they want you to feel like compelled to do it, which is good. Yeah. But, you know, there's a balance there, obviously. Yeah. It sounds cool, though. I'm excited to eventually check it out. I'm planning on maybe getting trying to get a PS5 like in June or July. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll see. I definitely want to play the uh, FF7 remake one and a half with Yuffie. Totally. And I also want to get a few other games. So uh, that'll be exciting. Returnal for the Sony's PlayStation 5. I tried to make it 11 and <laughs> nothing's the same. Nothing has the same meter as Dragon Quest 11. Do you want to wrap up? Yeah, I think we should. Hello, dear listener. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we love you. We appreciate you. If you like the show, uh, share it with a friend. You can also go to intothecast.online. It has the links to all our various social media platforms. It also has our YouTube channel, which has a few videos. Brendan already mentioned him playing both Metopia and Returnal. If you want just a wild night, watch both because <laughs> the games are weirdly related, I think. Uh, maybe one leads into the other. That's how you have to really unlock Returnal. Very excited to find that out. That's going to that's gonna be the big twist at the end of Returnal. Any upcoming videos or streams or anything from your end outside of the show? Uh, no, I do want to highlight your Emerald Nuzlocke, which continues to be great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm now kind of powering through the last act. We are six badges in. I will not spoil anything else, but we're getting towards the end. I actually might start doing them early in the morning uh, because my goal is to, for better or for worse, 
be done with the run. I'm excited for the end. I'm not trying to rush it or anything, but I want to have concluded that stream because I really want to stream the Mass Effect remasters once those come out in yeah. a couple weeks. And I actually might make those. I'm, I'm not quite sure yet, honestly, like when and how and if we can stream is always up to chance. We both like will either do like a lot at once and then we'll like not stream at all for a few months. But I'd like to have like a consistent like, okay, this is like the one thing I stream when I can. And I might do Mass Effect like in the mornings before work. I think that could be a fun. Like it's what you used to do with the early morning streams. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I, I, I it seems like we're hitting a good rhythm at this point where there's like stuff so. coming out pretty frequently. Yeah, I weird fact about me when I was a kid, I used to watch the Sci-Fi Channel before going to school. Uh, great, and it weirdly made a fun early morning ritual. So I'm hoping that maybe sharing Mass Effect early in the morning will be a similar thing. Yeah, love that for you. So we'll see. I mean, I uh, I have the same like weird existential dread about those remasters as you did with Pokemon Snap, where I'm like, what can happen here? <laughs> but I think I think they're going to be fine. I mean, again, all all I really want is all three games and all DLC in one place, and that seems like at the very least is what we're getting. Totally, I'm excited for that. I'm because I. Mass Effect 2 is one of my favorite games of all time. I like all three of them, but 2 especially. So yeah, that would be cool. And that's it. We have a Patreon. Uh, if you are back in the Patreon and it puts you in any financial strain, please do not. We will not be offended if, if you have to pull your support. But for those who can, we really appreciate it. It allows us to do bonuses. It allows us to buy new equipment. It allows us to pay AJ. All that good stuff. That's it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you can go to IntoTheCast.online for all of our links everywhere. Um, yeah. But outside of that, that's pretty much it. What's Do going you on? want to announce the new the bonus episode for this month or no? Yeah, sure. Why not? 3DS, baby. Yeah, so speaking of 3DS, the bonus episode for this month of May, beautiful May, is going to be Fire Emblem Awakening, uh, which we're both very excited about. We're going to be joined by our friend Alana Oaken, uh, and it's going to be a great time. Very, very, very excited to yeah. finally like give that game the time that I always wish I could have. Yeah, it's going to be cool in, in a post Three Houses world to go back, because that was the game that got me into Fire Emblem. We've talked about it in passing, and I'm really excited to talk about it with the two of you. Uh, also, if uh, I'll open it early. If you have any questions about that game, let us know. We'd love to do that in the episode. And that's it. That's all we got right now. Yeah. Thank you for listening. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. PWG, the worst garbage, the online.